This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, we have a show for the ages today. We uh, only have one guest today. He's going to join us in about a half hour. The one and only Pat Buchanan, senior advisor to three presidents, three-time presidential candidate himself, a widely read syndicated columnist and a best-selling author, and uh, somebody that I have a great deal of respect for. I can't wait to talk with him, pick his brain on uh, some of the issues that uh, we've all been talking about in the news for a while. Uh, but that's it. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity for you and I to speak. We got commendations coming up at 3 a.m. and a, a lot of other fun things that we're going to get to. Now, do you remember what life was like as far back as February 1st of 2022? Well, For the most part, it's difficult to think back two months ago, but for the most part, life was exactly like it is now, with one exception. People thought Tom Brady was retired, and that was before he came back. Tom Brady, of course, if you're not a football fan, has won, as a quarterback, more Super Bowls than anybody. Won a whole bunch with the Patriots and then won another one after everybody said that he was too old and after everyone said that he shouldn't have left the Patriots and after everyone said he should already be retired. Won another one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Announced he was retiring at the end of the season. Decided, uh, you know, I'm going to come back and play, actually. And that's what he's doing uh, next season. And it's interesting. I came across two columns that really called out to me, ostensibly related to Tom Brady, but not really. One was written February 1st, 2022, in the Washington Post by Sally Jenkins. Uh, Sally Jenkins is a columnist. She doesn't just write about sports, but she does mostly sports. This is the headline. On paper... Tom Brady was unremarkable. On the field, he grew into a legend. Now, I'm immediately with that headline intrigued. Because in any field, whether we're talking radio, whether we're talking Wall Street, whether we're talking television, whether we're talking sports, uh, pro wrestling, movies, If you have natural talent in whatever field we're talking about and you're super successful in that field, I understand it. 
But if you go into a field and you have no natural advantages, no natural talent, and you're able to succeed, and in the case of Tom Brady, succeed almost better than anybody did in history, then I'm immediately intrigued. I remember uh, there was a fellow that was – I don't want to badmouth anybody, so I'm going to save the names here. But there was a fellow who was a program director at a big radio station, and it was here in New York. And I asked – I never worked with him. But I asked a lot of the people that did work with him, hey, what you think of so-and-so? They said, well, you know – he was a nice guy, but he really didn't do anything. He really didn't have any special talent as program director. I said, well, how did he stay there for whatever, however long he stayed there, 10 or 12 years? And they said, oh, I don't know. And I said, that's really what I find most interesting. It's easy to stay in your job if you're super qualified and you're doing your job well. It's not so easy to stay in your job if you're just average. Now, Tom Brady became far from average, but it wasn't always that way. The seven-time Super Bowl winner, Tom Brady, was, this is what was written about him years ago. Poor build gets knocked down easily. That's what a draft scout wrote. Poor build gets knocked down easily. Easily. Now, what I love about this Sally Jenkins piece is that it really goes on to show is that what people say about you is always wrong if you make it so. And she writes, and I think she, this is a great column. Brady proved that any kid with perfectly ordinary athletic prospects the middle of the packer who doesn't come with some preloaded or far-fetched anatomical gift can construct greatness. What made him great was an inner curiosity, an urge to fill in his blanks and see what might happen with enough study and sweat. And the verdict on him, she writes, which they thought he was retiring, as he retires at 44, if you study and sweat Hard enough for long enough, you can win everything in sight and leave so many unattainable records etched into the books that they might as well be written in granite. Now, Brady's 2000 NFL draft evaluation is going to go down in history. Keep in mind what I just said. This is what this is what they wrote about him for his draft evaluation. Skinny. Lacks great physical stature and arm strength. Lacks mobility and the ability to avoid the rush. Lacks a really strong arm. Can't drive the ball down the field. Does not throw a really tight spiral. System type player who can get exposed if forced to ad lib. Now, was this, was any of that really inaccurate? No, it wasn't. It was merely the truth, but it was the incomplete truth. Because they didn't see in Tom Brady the building blocks of a future champion. And this happens from time to time. Do you know what they said of Fred Astaire's screen test? Fred Astaire, one of the most famous actors in history, famous mostly for being in movies where he would dance. Do you know what Fred Astaire's screen test said of him? Just like with Tom Brady. 
can't act slightly bald can dance a little. That was what they wrote of Fred Astaire's screen test. Now, the complete truth when it comes to Tom Brady was that at every single stage of his career, he labored to overcome major physical deficits as anyone who worked with him over the years tried to tell you. Now, he overcame whatever he was deficient in through strength of will. And those are the people that I'm most interested in. People who don't have natural anything. And through hard work, through a philosophy, through dedication to self-improvement, make themselves not only good, but great. You can't argue with Tom Brady. He's great. So I, this other column ostensibly related to Tom Brady that caught my interest was written by Jim Vandehei. Now, Jim Vandehei has been the founder of two of the most successful news organizations in America. One was Politico. The other is Axios. He left uh, Politico, which he co-founded, I think, with Mike Allen, and then went over to Axios, which is growing like crazy. It's one of the most important news brands in history. And he wrote um, that what Sally Jenkins wrote of Tom Brady is true in every dimension of life. You don't need to be born a genius or a sports sensation, attend Harvard or have friends in high places to be the very best at what you do. You simply need to decide what matters most and do the hard daily work to make it happen. Now, again, this is what Jim Vandehei says. Hell, I graduated in the bottom third of my high school class and had to attend the University of Wisconsin uh, extension, just uh, Menasha extension, just to sneak into a four-year college at Oshkosh where I clocked a 1.491 grade point average before dislodging my head from my butt. This posed zero limitations to one day helping start and run Two companies, including Axios. Now, I, I'm, I'm so hooked on this. And I'm going to give you the tips that he shares. But I'd really like to hear yours. If you're a middle of the packer that has succeeded in any field where you didn't necessarily have the natural talent, intellect, physical ability to do so, I'd love to hear what your tips are, what your suggestions are for the rest of us that are middle of the Packers and hoping to succeed in what we do. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, when it comes to radio, I, first of all, even just to be have a job working every day and talk radio as a talk show host is a pretty rare thing. And I don't have the kind of natural... Uh, voice ability of somebody like a Mark Simone, right? I don't have the street smarts of somebody like a Curtis Lewa. I don't have the uh, the the scholarly legal acumen of somebody like a uh, a, a Mark uh, Levin. I certainly don't have the 
quick wit of somebody like a Ron Kuby. I don't have uh, the voice, the, uh, the the voice, and the pedigree in radio of someone like a John Gambling. I don't have the vocabulary and the ability to communicate and tell stories and connect with people on a visceral level the way someone like a Jay Diamond does. But I've been able to eke out a career in radio largely in spite of the fact that I'm squarely a middle of the packer, mostly due to hard work. You know, there was someone that I that was one of my bosses along the line. I'm not going to say who it was because somebody that still works in radio and, you know, he, he was trying to be nice. But he said to me when I, I told him I had aspirations of being a talk show host and I asked him for an opportunity to do it on his station. And essentially what he said to me was, uh, I think your talents lie mostly as a talk radio producer, not as a talk show host. And he said uh, to me, well, look, you have a good situation here. You get to do what I think you're good at and make a little bit of money as a radio producer. And you get to fill in uh, for other hosts doing what you think you're good at being a, a host. And so couldn't really be mad at him, but it did. It really was motivating on one effect, on one count that he didn't think that I had what it took to be a talk show host. And it was also a little I mean, I wouldn't want to say it was hurtful because he didn't mean it that way, but it was a little discouraging. He was somebody that had done very well in radio, run a lot of big stations and networks over the years, telling me that essentially he didn't think that I have what it takes. No, that he doesn't. So I'd love to hear. I'm going to share you the Jim Vandehigh tips for the middle of the Packers, but I'd love to hear yours because I found these four tips that Jim Vandehigh gives really helpful. And I'm betting that some of you can benefit from them as well, depending on whatever it is that you want to do. I'm hoping to do the same thing in ping pong now. You know, honestly, I am a less than average ping pong player, but I am and I'm way too old to become a great ping pong player. But I still want to be a great ping pong player. And look, my game doesn't seem to be improving that much. Realistically, I might be past the point of no return, but I still want to do want to practice and get better. So these are the four tips that Jim Van Dyne gives. It actually motivated me. This is his writing and helped me appreciate a few lessons on how we middle of the Packers can beat the dealer. Number one, do something you would do for free. You can't fake passion and passion leads to a healthy daily obsession. If you find a way to get paid to do what you love most, this comes naturally. You know, in reading that tip, it was so similar to what Michael Uslan, the Batman producer that I had on Friday, listed as the first P of producing passion. It's also Similar to rules that um, I took down by hand when I was listening to Rush Limbaugh on the radio 20 years ago when he was giving advice on how to break into radio. Uh, Number two, be smart enough to steal from those smarter than you. Be a student of those crushing what you want to crush and copy their best habits, or moves. Read, listen to podcasts, pick up the phone, a little trick. 
call people you admire. You will be shocked at how generous most people are in sharing their tricks. Number three. By the way, I've tried to do that. And all the best content on this show that people like is stolen from other people. Number three. Surround yourself with goodness and greatness. Success is wasted if you do not find good people to both share it with and to learn from. Glue yourself to people who make make you better and make you feel better. And then finally, this is the last one that he cites. Grit is it. My wife and I spend more time talking with our kids about this than grades or awards. There's no substitute for getting it up every day and pouring uncommon time and effort into what matters most. This means sucking it up when you flop or fail. I found those four tips really helpful. Give me yours. 1-800-848-WABC. Seven open lines. Uh, Your tips for helping a middle-of-the-packer, like a Tom Brady, like a Jim Vandehei, like a Frank Morano, exceed everyone's wildest expectations for success. 800-848-WABC. And then Jim ends his column in Axios by saying, as the great poet Pink once sang, where there is desire, there is going to be a flame. Where there is a flame, someone's bound to get burned. But just because it burns doesn't mean you're going to die. You've got to get up and try. A lot of wisdom there from Jim Vandehei and Pink, as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, seven open lines, so you will be able to get you right through if you want to comment on this. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Hi, hi. Interesting topic. Um, in Hebrew, there's an expression, Ein Dover Omed In other words, nothing stands in the way of a will. Somebody mm. really wants to accomplish something. He'll accomplish something like like Bill Brady. Bill Brady is it Bill Brady? Uh, Tom right? Tom yeah. Brady. Tom Brady. Tom right. Brady. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, or for example, uh, um, Doctor, I think it is Napoleon Hill writes in Thinking Grow Rich. Nothing will stand in the way. Basically, you have to have a burning desire. Now, I can give examples. Ben Hogan, was, you know, or even even right now, Tiger. Mm. Um, you know, whatever. He came back after whatever, whatever. But I would like to give a personal example of myself, which I promise there will be zero exaggeration. What I accomplished once, which is absolutely mind-boggling. I have a tendency to always gain weight. Okay, I'm 73 years old now. I've always had that struggle. About 20 years ago, I reached the point, and I'm about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and I reached the point of 336. Oh, wow. Okay. 336. That's an insane weight. And I know I would have gone to 400, 450. Just food is something that I need desperately, you know, to, to, to get through the day. And somehow, about 20 years ago, something hit me with a burning desire, which was un- unreal. I went by myself, by the way, uh, meaning no doctor, no group, no vitamins. I happen to have five herniated discs. So I'm in constant agonizing pain. So I can't even do exercise. Okay, I can walk, thank God, a little, but I have tremendous pain. So I couldn't do exercise either. I couldn't take. I didn't take vitamins. I didn't go to doctors. Didn't go to group. Didn't have surgery. Didn't do a lap band. Nothing. Over five years and two weeks, I went on the Atkins diet all by myself. And over five years and two weeks, I lost from one three thirty six to one fifty three. Wow! Almost eighty three pounds. That's incredible. Myself, without any help, uh, I'm not exaggerating whatsoever. Not a, not a drop. 
I, because I, my desire was so strong that most of the time I didn't even feel the suffering. I wanted to show it to people, I wanted to show it to myself. And since then, I've been able to accomplish other things, realizing the, 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 the power that a person has if he really wants to accomplish something. And really, every, the average person, for me to accomplish So, Charles, that, what, was your, what was your secret? What was, if people are uh, struggling with, uh, with something, whether it's weight or something else, where they have no uh, natural wanted, advantage, what was it? I wanted it? to look, when I went down to 152 at 5'8", I was slim. I looked phenomenal. You know, I was like, what was I, like 60 years old or something? And I just looked great. People, people usually at 60. I, right, but so uh, what was, was your secret? Belly. What was your secret? I was dying to accomplish it. I, I see. I, I, in other words, in, let's put it this way. I used to have a certain amount of calories I'm allowed till four in the morning. I'm not up at four in the morning. Sometimes I finished all my calories in the morning. I couldn't take it. So like, like at, at, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I finished. The agony that I went through till four in the morning is not to be described, but I stuck to it. Why? Because I didn't lie to myself and tell myself, ah, today I can screw it up even though it's, I finished my calories. Uh, I'm desperate. Uh, tomorrow I'll be okay. I knew that if I break it once, I never broke it. If I break it once, it's over. I'll so it it's again. all about strength, strength of will uh, for you as well, Charles. Tremendous Charles, willpower thanks for sharing desire. that. Thank you for sharing that. 800-848-WABC. What's a tip for somebody that is of average intelligence, average talent, average height, average intellect, who doesn't seem to have any na- any natural ability to exceed in any any field doesn't matter what the field is wall street sports movies radio writing you name it what's a tip keeping in mind the kind of things that Vin- jim bandai said to help them be great like tom brady or jim bandai 800-848-9222 al's in manhattan hello al hey how you doing frank i'm hanging in there thanks good so anyway there's no secret to success. But what you have to do is get up and do the same thing every day. You have to find something that you like to do because finding something finding something that you like to do is just as important or even more important than finding out what you don't like to do. And every day you have to do it. You'll excel if you're good at it. Now, I've been listening to you for three weeks now, and I must have called you eight times already. Because I do a bread route at nighttime. We spoke about that. Now, it's my business, and I go to work every night, and I do the same thing. Now, the reason I'm doing it is because I can't find somebody else that wants to work. So I say, you know what? I'll get up and do it. Everybody says, oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, you know what? The harder I work, (laughs) the luckier I get. So it's all about hard work, finding something that you like, and if you like it, you'll excel, and money will follow. Uh, I love that. I love that philosophy. The harder you work, uh, the the luckier you get. Now, Al, I agree with everything that you that you said. But uh, yeah. let me ask you: There are a lot of people out there in whatever field doesn't matter the field that work hard their whole life, and they still never really seem to kind of rise to the top of their profession uh, the way a Tom Brady has, or the way a Jim Vandehei has. What do you think separates those people, the people that might still be working super hard at something they like, let's say, but they never seem to get to a Tom Brady level or an Al from Manhattan level or a Jim Vandehei level? What what separates those people from you? Well, I'm not at that level. I just know that I'm smart enough to know I'm dumb enough. 
So I'm not going to be a Tom Brady or the other gentleman that you mentioned. I do what I know. I got into this business as a child. I was 15 years old. And the reason I got into it, I guess I was a little lucky because I used to run away from home and I used to sleep in a bakery. But I was smart enough while I was in that bakery to learn what was going on. And then, you know, the rest I can tell you, it's just uh, it's just one thing after the other, one foot in front of the other. Try to not make mistakes when you slide backwards. And if you do, then you get back up on the pony and you, get, you, you do it again. Great, great stuff, Al. I, I love it. And uh, Now, Al is in the bread business. Last time he was here, I said uh, bread is a great business to go into because it has a lot of dough. However, when I made that joke, uh, a number of people wrote to me and said that I had uh, an awfully wry sense of humor. So, 800-848-9222. Rich is in East Meadow. Hello, Rich. Hey, good morning, French. Morning. You know what? It's funny that you're bringing this up because I was thinking about you yesterday. Huh. I stumbled across Diamond Dallas Page on YouTube and some of the work he's been doing with people with uh, banged up bodies. Yeah, I, I, me- I mentioned him on Friday. Is that what made you think of me? Um, no, because you're a wrestling ah, fan. Yeah, I, no, because I, I have a lot of respect for Diamond Dallas Page. And I think DDP fits into the exact same category as everybody else we're talking about here. I I think you're 100% right. He is he is a physical specimen, and he did have a big platform. But being available, and you're an excellent example of this. You're available. You know, you, you know who you are. You show up. You have a good attitude, and you take advantage of opportunities, and here you are. You know, it's so it, – it, you know, I almost mentioned DDP because for people that aren't wrestling fans, Diamond Dallas Page – He was an obsessive wrestling fan, and he did whatever he could to break into wrestling, tried to be an announcer, tried to be a manager, and he even went so far as to lend his his, uh, really nice cars. He had this really nice car. He would lend it to wrestling promotions so that they could use it just so he could have some access. There was one big wrestling event. It might have been a WrestleMania 6 or something where you could actually see see him like he's a chauffeur driving his convertible at this big uh, wrestling event. And he didn't make his debut as a pro wrestler until he was 35 years old in a business where most people uh, are getting ready to retire around that time. And he still went on to become the heavyweight champion of the world. It's it's a great um, observation on your part, Rich. Thank you. And, you know, I don't I didn't know this. Right. Um, But he's had an amazing second career. And uh, it was the way he had to live to survive. He turned that into his second career. No, you're exactly right. He's been I've interviewed him before. And uh, it's probably about time that we invited him back. I'll I'll work on getting him back. Thank you, Rich. 800-848-WABC. Pat is in Waretown. Hello, Pat. Hi, uh, Frank. Nice to talk to you. Likewise. Some, sometimes I think it's it's uh, luck. And why I say that is we graduated high school or college and we go on to our careers. And sometimes where we work, we have that, we love where we are and we get that drive to succeed even more. I have a friend who worked for an insurance comp agency and he went on to become an insurance agent himself. I have a friend that was a teacher, loved teaching, and went on 
through um, more education, became a principal. Sometimes um, I did well at work and uh, just through promotions and liking my company. So sometimes I think it's it's just luck of the luck of the yeah. luck of the hand. Well, life. yeah, I mean, I I could see. Look, I don't want to discount the role of luck because luck is important. But you, like in basketball, for instance, you could you can absolutely understand why it's more likely that someone like Hakeem Olajuwon, who's seven foot, or someone like Manuk Bull, who's seven foot seven, could become an NBA superstar. It's much more difficult. To understand why someone like Muggsy Bogues, who's five foot three, could become an NBA superstar. So my my real question is how not how the Hakeem Olajuwon's or the Manuk Bulls come to be. It's how the Muggsy Bogueses come to be. People who are just average and who through strength of will and through hard work and determination are able to not only make a living, but to succeed and uh, and and thrive. But you know, you're right, Pat. You can't discount the role of luck. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We're going to get to Pat Buchanan in just a minute. Uh, we'll talk Ukraine and a bunch of other things. Walter is in Yonkers. Hello, Walter. Yes. Uh, good morning. From my experience, I started off in the mailroom. This is a long time ago. In the mailroom. And uh, I wound up in uh, working in the computer department. And from my experience, it's being well liked. Uh, yeah, I. You know what? I actually think that is really important. That is be, uh-huh. so important. You'd be surprised how many doors open up for you if you're well liked. Uh, Walter, I am so glad you mentioned that because I actually was hoping to mention the importance of likability because The Undertaker uh-huh. alluded to that in his Hall of Fame speech. That is so important. I've seen that in radio. Yes, There's a lot of very talented radio people that are um, not as good as others, but they are well-liked, mm-hmm. so they keep getting opportunities that other folks don't. Yeah, Walter, that's a great exactly. point, a wonderful point. I'm glad you've done so well and uh, made it out of the mailroom. You know, one other tip I'll give, and I, I learned this one from that list of radio suggestions that Rush Limbaugh had read on air 20 years ago, is he said, this was the, like the second thing that he mentioned, it, learn how to read, write, and speak Now, remember, Rush never graduated college. He's a college dropout. Learn how to read, write, and speak the English language to the best of your ability. Because whether it's true or not, you convince people that you're very intelligent. Al is... Hello, Al. Hey, good morning. Good show. Thanks. Uh, To me, you know, I've always heard things like uh, luck is the residue of design. Meaning that we all have uh, things that uh, opportunities that come up, come up to us, right? But are we ready to act on them, right? And then um, they say you can't predict the future, but you can shape it. So if you can take your heart, your desire, your focus, and it's mostly passion, you know. And, and if you can find something like in your business, radio, you figure it out any which way, producer, this or that, volunteering. That's what made it happen. And guess what? In a matter of years' time, you've taken all these ratings in addition to the other guys. And guess what? You're on top of your game and you're moving forward. 
So it's more of the same. Just keep going that route, and, uh, you know, you've got it all. you just got to uh, refocus, rededicate every day, have long-term goals, short-term goals. And uh, I think you're going to do fantastic as you are. Well, uh, thanks, Al. I I didn't really want to make this about me. Uh, I'm more interested in helping other middle-of-the-packers become the next Tom Brady, Jim Vandehei, Diamond Dallas Page. Mike's in Erster Bay. Hello, Mike. Hey, I I think something I've I've learned and I've heard from other people who are successful and they might not have all the talent is they just refuse to accept failure except to say no someone will say you can't matter you won't make it and they'll never believe that in their heart they believe that they can do it and they sometimes have to find alternate routes or different different ways to get to where they want to go that's not the typical way to get there and and eventually they become successful and uh sometimes they make it to the top so the key is just never to accept a setback or a discouraging word exactly yeah well it has to be the passion comes with that you just refuse to accept that someone tells you. I like that, Mike. That. I, a lot of times that can be easier said than done, but I like that. 800-848-9222. Mario's in Jersey City. Hello, Mario. Frank, you're the best. Oh, this thanks. is a Mike Tyson story with Custy Amato, his mentor sure. up in the Catskills. Mike, I don't know, 14 years old, maybe 13, 14, when he started going to Catskills, and he would run away to Brooklyn, get in trouble, go to juvenile detention centers, and then go back. Hi, Cuss, how you doing? So Cuss sat him down one day and says, Mike, I'm getting old, I'm going to die, and you're not listening to me. If you listen to me, because Mike had no confidence in himself at all. So Cuss sat him down at the table and he said to him, Mike, you have to deprive yourself of pleasure. You will get rewarded on the end. When you become champion, people will always remember your name. And, but before he told him that, he said, you have to go back to Brooklyn, stay there. Don't come back here because you're not listening to me. So when he told him that, Mike broke down because he had no place to go in, in Brooklyn. That was the house of Camille Ewald. And by the way, she was, she was Ukrainian, Camille. That was like his mom. So Mike broke down, and from that day on, Mike put in his mind that he was going to make sure that he was going to be the best boxer that Costi Amato trained, and Mike became the greatest. Uh, so, again, it's just through um, heating that. Through self-discipline, in the in that Very case of Mike Tyson, the, and self-denial. Yeah, so I was going to tell you, a lot of discipline. And Cus says all the young people, not even today, everybody wants to know what's popping on Friday, what's popping on Saturday. Everybody wants to have a good time. Life is not having a good time. It's a lot of discipline and a lot of hard work. And this is why Mike became great. Mario, thank you. 800-848-9222. Squeeze in one more here before we get to Pat Buchanan. Artie is in New Jersey. He's been holding a while. Hello, Artie. Artie. I really believe you really underestimate your ability. Well, thanks. I mean, believe me, I don't think I'm unlistenable. But, uh, you know. You're very talented. You're a tremendous interviewer. You make things very interesting. Let me give you an instance. Once a week, you talk about Atlantic City. I have no interest in Atlantic City. But when you talk about it, I'm interested. You make me interested. And plus, you're very curious for knowledge, for learning things from other people. And it comes out in your approach and the way you interview and the way you handle your your people that you interview. You're, You're extremely talented. I'm telling you right now. You, 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 you really 
don't give yourself justice. Well, thank you, Artie. I appreciate that. Uh, Believe me, you know, I think this show is very good. Uh, Don't 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 think I'm uh, saying it's not. All I was saying is, you know, a lot of other people in radio, they got an opportunity to be on the radio every day because they were on television first. Uh, because they were a politician first uh, or because they were somebody's son or grandson or because they were well known as a newsmaker in another area or because, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I never had any of those things. Right. I, I really didn't know anybody when I started in radio or anything. And, um, you know, believe me, I think we can grow this show a lot more. But, um, you know, I, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not looking for a pick me up, but I appreciate the comments already and the compliments. That's very kind. Joe is in Bayonne. Hello, Joe. Hi, Frank. I just have to poke a hole in your argument about the Tom Brady thing Please. Uh, very quickly. His, um, he's a really good looking guy and uh, uh, looks and physical attractiveness really are the shortcut to accomplishing like anything that you want to accomplish in life. And I don't think that you um, have factored that into your. Uh, well, that's a good point. Who the interview. That, he's I, just a good looking guy and people, it smooths the way, you know? Well, and, uh, I mean, I think that's just reality. Joe, thank you. I have to run. I wish we could discuss that further because I don't think that's true. I don't think being good looking gives you an opportunity to win uh, seven Super Bowls. Two, uh, because there's a lot of handsome people that have never won any Super Bowls. Two, um, that argument, though, was that took place on the show Mad Men. You you had the character Don Draper, who was giving advice to a young salesperson of what he did in a similar challenge. The young uh, or a young writer, or whatever, I don't remember what it is. It's years ago. And the writer takes Don's advice. It doesn't work for him. And then he turns to Don and says, no, that's not really why you've done well. It's only because you're just handsome, he says to him. So maybe there's something to what you said. Look, don't get me wrong. I think it's always an advantage being handsome over not being handsome. But I, th- I, I don't think that explains Tom Brady winning seven Super Bowls when most scouts didn't think he even had the makings of a professional quarterback. The great Pat Buchanan joins me straight ahead. W-A-B-C. 77 This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I hope you had a nice Palm Sunday. I had a great weekend. I'll tell you some of the highlights and lowlights in uh, just a little while. But um, excited for Holy Week. I will not be here on Friday. Uh, I understand my friend and colleague Curtis Lewa is going to be filling in. I am sure when he fills in on Friday, he will be concocting some sort of weird conspiracy theory as to why I'm not here and he is not. I, I'm just telling you I am I, wow. why, why he's here and I'm not. Uh, it's a scheduled day off. So I'm going to be uh, getting together for the holiday with some family and some friends We're going down to uh, 
or going up or down to Pennsylvania on Friday. So that is why I will not be here. So whatever Curtis says, I don't know what he's going to say, but I am sure it will not be true. All right. Um, so my grandfather passed away um, a while ago, passed away when I was 14. But he and I were very close. We had a very good relationship. And there were, you know, he was an Italian immigrant. And there were a few things that made him happy. Right? He liked a good meal. He loved to fix things. Now, his version of fixing things was very different from my mother's version of fixing things because it was her house, whether she wanted him to or not, that he would all often find himself making or fixing things in. And needless to say, she was not necessarily the biggest fan of his craftsmanship. He loved watching soccer on television. Um, that's really it. I don't really know what other great passions that he had other than working. And, you know, for most of my youth, he uh, he was a, a hairdresser. The only other thing that I can think of that he really enjoyed doing, and this has been passed on to his son, my Uncle Steve, who's my my godfather. He absolutely lived for driving around and seeing what people were throwing away. And if it was something that was usable, he would snatch it as they from the, you know, front of the curb, uh, whatever the case was, whatever it was, he would either find a way to come back. Uncle does the same thing now and put it in his own house or someone else's house. He couldn't bear for something that he thought was usable, even if it needed a little bit of work, to be thrown away. Couldn't bear it. So I thought of him and my uncle yesterday as I was reading the New York Times. I just posted this article on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan, if you want to read it. How to stoop to new heights with these sidewalk furniture hunters. Now, if my grandfather were still alive, he would have been in this article. New York City curbs are awash in discarded furniture that can liven up your home or make you some money. We talked to some experts on how to find it. And it's really interesting. For instance, they talked to Denise Gordon. A few weeks ago, she was walking near her Gramercy home when she spotted an antique chest of drawers on the curb. She didn't need it, but this dresser was too good to ignore. Solid wood with clawed feet and dovetail joinery. It was also too heavy for her, who's she's 68 years old, to carry. So she did what any good sidewalk trooper would do. She offered two random men on the street $20 apiece to carry it back to her apartment. And being New Yorkers, they did. People don't know what they're throwing away, she said. And she's been digging for discarded treasure since she paid 35 cents for a silk blouse at a thrift store when she was 13 years old. In my neighborhood, they don't know and they don't care. New York City suburb, excuse me, New York City curbs are awash in furniture left behind by people who are moving, who died, or who are simply fickle. If you know where to look and how to get the stuff home, it's possible to furnish an entire apartment with someone else's junk. And if you know where to look, an entire ecosystem of expert scavengers 
has emerged on TikTok and Instagram ready to help you scout out great finds. So I was thinking, have I ever gotten anything from a curb? And the only thing I could think about when I was still living at my mother's house, I was a late teenager, someone on our block was throwing away, even as a teenager, I had a big collection of books. Someone on our block was throwing away a very good condition bookshelf. So I took the bookshelf and I, I put it in, in my room. I think it's still in her house to this day. I love that bookshelf. That's the only thing I can remember taking from a curb that was being thrown away. So my question for you is twofold. One, what is the nicest thing you've ever found that someone else was throwing away curbside? And two, what tips do you have for people that want to do this? They either want to furnish their own apartment or make some money selling stuff that some other people are throwing away. I'll give you a few of the things they mentioned in this Time article, but I'd like to hear from you. 800-848-9222. What is the coolest thing you've ever swiped that someone was throwing away? Number two, what tips do you have for people that might want to start doing this kind of thing? That is your twofold question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. The Times writes, a good, is in the real estate section if you want to read it in the actual paper, but you could just go onto my Facebook, I posted it there. A good sidewalk sleuth can spot a quality piece, knowing to check its heft and to look for features like tongue and groove joinery before committing. They deftly enlist strangers and Uber drivers to help drag loot home and often travel with screwdrivers, bungee cords, and flashlights in case they happen upon a gem. Miss Gordon is quoted as saying, I'm like a heat-seeking missile. If it's there, I'll find it. And she sells many of the items she's finds, such as the leather Eames chair, Ames chair, lounge chair that she recently sold on the used furniture marketplace apt deco for $2,000. It's wooden money. That's what it is. Fascinating. 800-848-9222. Stewart's in Forest Hills. Hello, Stuart. Yes, Frank. I'm going to compliment you on bringing on Patrick Buchanan. I know there's like one or two people on your Facebook page, uh, John, who makes a lot of uh, noise about you having only one type of opinion. But the fact of the matter is you're the lonely voice out there. And all the other hosts talk the other way, war, 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 war. And I think it's okay full time what you're doing. Um, The only thing I could suggest, maybe, maybe if you could, I don't know, bring a neocon like uh, John Bolton on for half an hour, ask him several questions and after he's done bring on right afterwards maybe lieutenant colonel daniel davis ask him the exact same questions and i think people would get uh, to see the difference between them and hopefully they would see that frank morano is maybe more of an expert in foreign policy than people think well thank you Stuart. that's very nice of you I, i appreciate that um, and, you know, I am working on a debate um, uh, this week or next week on that subject. So we may do it in the format that you suggest or something similar. 800-848-9222. I appreciate that, Stuart. If you want to know what 
Facebook page he's talking about, you can just uh, search Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook and you can participate. That It's not really a page. It's a more of a group. It's a forum where if you're interested in talking about this show with other people that listen to it, we imp- encourage you to join that group. Loretta is in New Rochelle. Hello, Loretta. Hi, Frank. Um, I, I, I sell um, vintage and antiques online, so I've um, found many a great things. What's the best thing um, that you found that somebody was throwing away? Oh, gosh. So many. I, I, I can't think of anything specifically, but I did have kind of a funny story uh, about something that my mom threw away. Um, do you want me to, do you want yeah, me to tell, tell it? Yeah, tell me. Absolutely. Okay, good. Okay. Well, I am like in the business of selling antiques and vintage, but my mom at one point um, bought a, a seascape uh, painting at a tag sale that she never showed to me. And I guess she must have had it in the basement for uh, 10 years or so, and it had a couple of big tears in it. I'm finding all this out after the fact. She never showed me the painting. Maybe she was embarrassed to say that she bought it and it had tears in it. But anyway, one day she puts it out at the curb. She decides to clean out the basement, and she puts it out at the curb. And she notices that uh, within 15 minutes or so, it's gone. Okay. I'm finding all this out after the fact, mind you. All right, so then... <laughs> About three months later, a neighbor comes walking by the house, and he says, um, Marie, I want to I wanna thank you. And she said, well, what do you want to thank me for? And he says, well, you know the painting that you threw out a couple of months ago? And she said, yes. And he said, well, it paid for my new roof. So my mom tells me this story after it's all said and done. And she said, can you believe this? I said, why didn't you ever show me the painting? She said, oh, you know, it had tears in it. But obviously it was worth enough to pay for his new roof. Well, uh, do, do you know what he sold that painting for? No, but, I mean, a new roof is quite expensive. Yeah. I, so, who painted it? Do you know? No, because I never saw the painting. My mom, you know, she never showed it to me, even though I'm, like, somewhat in the business. But I guess she was, you know, thought it was junk because it had tears in it. But I would say probably a new roof, you know, because I think it was a total new roof, not a do-over. Not like, you know, where they put another layer on. Probably was worth like $20,000. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, Loretta, that's interesting. Any advice for people that may want to find a $20,000 painting? Oh, gosh. Or, or, I mean, obviously that's lottery, but... um, Yeah, I mean, you know, you can pick stuff up at the curb, but... It 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 takes years of experience to know what to look for. Mm. Like just to say I'm going to go start doing this, it, it's really hard. Like I I've been doing it for uh, thirty forty years or so, and I'm still learning. So if somebody just says, "Oh, this is what I want to do," well, you have to do like you have to learn a lot before you start bringing junk home. You know what I mean? And then even when you get it home, even if you think you know what you're doing, there's still so much research that you you have to do like it's not easy it's not easy at all it takes years of learning and research and even even after you you know you you've been doing it for so many years you still don't know everything and you still make mistakes even if you buy something like let's say at a tag sale you say you know i think this might be good but even after all the years that i've been doing this i've made mistakes 
and I say, oh, well, that didn't turn out so good. Interesting. A lot of it is like is just getting lucky and, and making a good guess. Like, you know, I got better and better over the years as of making a good guess about something, but it's not like you always look at something and say, oh, I know 100% that this is great. You know what I mean? Uh, um, yeah, but, no, um, that's, all, that's all good stuff, Loretta. Hey, uh, continued good luck in your efforts as well. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Loretta. Uh, I'm I love sorry. You so. you, no, that's all nice right. of you. Thank you. Sorry to hear about that. Her mom throwing away a fortune like that. Oh. Uh, now, the Times writes a skill, after talking to all these experts, a skilled scavenger knows where and when to hunt. See, this is my Uncle Steve's thing. He knows what time everybody's getting rid of their stuff, and he goes and does the thing. The end of the month is always a good time with people unloading before they move out. So are weekends. In New York City, bulk items can be placed on the curb from 4 p.m. to midnight the night before trash collection day. So plan accordingly. If you're heading out of your neighborhood, check the trash collection schedule before you go. P.J. Gotch, a writer with the Instagram account NYC Free at the Curb, likes to swing by luxury buildings early in the morning around 6 a.m. because those properties often set items out right before the trucks come for collection. And then there's some discussion that not all neighborhoods are created equal. Some neighborhoods, like the Upper East Side, have been known for decades as prime foraging destinations. But there are plenty of other spots to put on your radar. One woman says she likes Dumbo in Brooklyn. Shelby Vesey, who runs Stuber NYC, which is a company that delivers found and purchased furniture, has had a lot of success in Harlem. Jessica Wolf of Stooping in Queens thinks Ridgewood, Queens, is the most underrated neighborhood in the borough. For antiques, she suggests Jackson Heights. For quality, she says Long Island City is worth a visit. So what are your tips? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Joan is in Montclair. Hello, Joan. Hi, Frank. Uh, before I start, I just want to wish you, Rachel, and baby Carmine a uh, happy Easter. Thank you. And a blessed christening. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to have some now, updates on that a little later, but thank you. Okay. Um, well, one time I was walking, I guess it was the day before trash or whatever, and I found um, like a 10 or 12 inch, I'm not sure because I haven't measured it, cast iron fry pan out leaning against a tree and it was all rusty already but um, you know you can clean that up easily so I picked it up and brought it home I was walking the dog at the time and cleaned it all up and I gave it to my mom who was living in Tom's River but she had an electric stove and uh, cast iron doesn't really do that well on electric stoves I think you have to have one of those little metal things to kind of separate it So I kept it for myself, and it's absolutely wonderful if you want to grill, like, strips of chicken for, uh, you know, a salad with, uh, you know, grilled chicken. Sure, sure, it sounds great. Or to grill fish. I mean, it's a treasure as far as I'm concerned. I'd like to find one a little smaller. It's great for hamburgers and stuff. And uh, I rescued a few dolls, too, because I feel sorry for them. Cabbage patch patch doll. And then what do you do with them? Do you give them away? Do you keep them? Do you sell them? No, I'm a... I love dolls ever since I was a kid. So they wind up hanging around my house. And uh, this one, uh, my dog chewed its fingers off. So I have to um, give it some, you know, mittens or something. <laughs> yeah, some but surgery. The big thing I really um, missed out on, and I, I just don't know why I didn't go back and get the car and get it, was a very large dollhouse. 
and um, it was really wonderful. And of course, I like dollhouses as well, but I kind of thought, well, where am I going to put this or whatever? So I, I just let that one go and kind of, that was the one that got away. Well, um, Joan, that sounds like you found some great stuff over the years. Any tips for people on what they should look for or how they should handle it if they uh, see an object that strikes their fancy? Well, don't be ashamed to pick it up yeah, and take that's, it that's, home. That's okay? important. That's good advice. That's good advice because yeah. a lot of this stuff's in great condition. There's a lot of great stuff out there. 800-848-9222. Uh, Tommy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy. Hi, Frank. How are you? Um you know, I, I found a lot of an old trunk when I was uh, a kid, and it came out of uh, a house that burned down. I had this trunk for years, and a friend of my brother said to it was cool, and he wanted to buy it from me, so he gave me 40 bucks. And I was eight years old, and I was hooked on dumpster diving and garbage picking cool. ever since. Yeah. And, and so I, uh, you know, try, try to find out when bulk pickup is, you know, for the people who are trying to find it, trying to find out what bulk pickup is for the neighborhood. And drive around and do your thing. You know, as an adult, I did a lot of cleanouts. You know, like I had a van. I used to do a lot of cleanouts. Lots of good stuff. Found a case of Scotts. Good stuff. Very old. Sold it for, you know. Wow. So what's the coolest thing as an adult that you found? What's the what? What's the neatest thing as an adult that you found that somebody was getting rid of? Um, I found this box. It, it must have been from a, a World War II veteran. Uh, it had some wings in it from uh uh, from the the Nazis, you know, had Nazi wings in it, and he had all he had medals from all the different soldiers, I guess, that he found along the way or whatever. And I also found his medals as well. And his kids, you know, weren't involved in it. And he said, "No, we don't want any of that." So I took it. You know, it was under garbage. They were throwing it out. Wow. And that was probably it, it's they're valuable, but you know, I, I mean, I, I don't like the Nazis. So yeah, well, naturally, it, I would think not. Uh, yeah, they're sitting, they're sitting in the box. Uh, Tommy, thanks. Appreciate that. Neil on Staten Island. Hello. I got to thank you, Frank, because, you know, I was going to go out and buy you a birthday present, but now I think I'm going to sit outside Joe Borelli's house and see what he's throwing out. Yeah, you know, I think that's, you know, he and I have similar tastes, so that's not a bad spot to camp out. I think that's a great idea. You know, I had a friend, this is years ago, uh, they had double coupons in Long Island. So every Sunday he would go dumpster diving. And for the Sunday papers that they wouldn't sell, they would take the first page and turn it back in, and they would get credit. And the rest they throw out in the dumpster. So he would bring in reams and reams of coupons, cut them all up, and then go to the supermarkets. And he had a, a virtual supermarket in his basement. He would get everything for free. Just had to pay the tax. Really? Oh, that, I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty neat, Neil. Pretty neat. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Bob is in Long Beach. Hello, Bob. Hello, Frank. Uh, I wanted to comment about uh, what's his name, uh, Pat Buchanan. You know, Pat Buchanan, not that I'm an interventionist or I would want to do anything, but he would think Key West is not in our interest. Also, you should ask him what his views are on Israel. And when he ran for president, I think a Marxist leftist was his running mate. No. No. Lola Falana? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, his running mate in 2000 was Isola Foster, who, if you look her up, is the farthest not thing. Scott is another name. There was another name. Yeah, yeah he would. He never picked Lenora Falani as his running mate. Oh, no? 
No, hundred okay. percent not. Absolutely not. No, I mean, okay. when when he met, and again, I know because I was involved in the Reform Party at that time. When he met with the leaders of the Reform Party in two thousand, when he left the GOP, the one thing that he was clear on is that he was going to pick a pro life running mate. He's pro life, and he was going to make that a big part of his uh, candidacy, yeah. and that he was going to pick a pro life running mate as well. And he would, um, you know, it never have picked Lenora Falani. Oh, that's the lady, yeah, that's way. But what else is another thing? He has made in the past, I can't pinpoint him, so I'm not going to say for sure, but he has made, he's, he's made, he means anti-Semitic if you listen to him. No, I mean, do, do, I, I, I've never found his commentary to be anti-Semitic. I think that's largely a reflection of a, a media creation and people that disagree with him. And they've been bringing this up about him since 1992, since he ran for president against George Bush. And even President Nixon, to his credit, said, look, Pat Buchanan was with me, um, you know, in the late 60s. And when they had the Six-Day War, uh, when Israel had the Six-Day War, that uh, Pat Buchanan was an advocate on behalf of intervening to protect Israel in the Six-Day War. So if he hated Israel or was anti-Semitic, I can't see him being an advocate of siding with Israel during the Six-Day War, and I can't see Nixon, who didn't even endorse him in 92, going out of his way to point that out to people. I think it's, you know, and, you know, look, I think a lot of those anti-Semitic remarks didn't necessarily, I don't think they were effective because Four years after people started making them. And again, I, I wanted to focus more on the issues Pat was talking yeah. about, not necessarily everything Pat has ever said or done. But four years later, he came back and won the New Hampshire primary. So in spite uh, no. of everybody saying anti-Semite, 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 four yeah. years later, the people of New Hampshire, they still, you know, gave him their state in the primaries. No, no I understand that. And I do agree with him on a lot of things. It's just some things he says sometimes hits a nerve. I do agree with him on a lot of things. You know, it, it's that that's just what it is. I mean, it's just something about him. I, I just can't get it. And I do agree with him on a lot of things like America First, that he believes in not getting involved in all these foreign interventionists. And another thing I want to tell you, there was a caller called before where he told about Atlantic City. I don't even care about gambling, don't even know how to gamble. But when you talk about Atlantic City, I'm riveted to that. I don't know why. Well, that's the idea. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. I'm just letting you know. It's like no. unbelievable. Then I think when I was a kid, when I went to the Steel Pier, and I saw the diving horse. I saw Bobby Darren at the Steel Pier. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, Bob. Thank you. You know, it's funny that the, both of those callers, both uh, uh, the previous caller and Bob, said the same thing um, because recently we sat with our president, Chad, and you're able to look up the ratings uh, for every specific hour. And he said, well, what hour do you want to look up? And I said, well, let's see. I'm just curious. Let's look up Thursday mornings, the three o'clock hour, because I was curious how the Atlantic City segment does, because, I mean, you could understand maybe people that don't go to Atlantic City don't want to listen. And I was going to quietly, if the segment didn't do well, I was quietly going to say, all right, well, maybe we'll try something else there. So sure enough, we look up the ratings Thursday mornings at 3 a.m. We're killing it. We're beating everybody. We're beating everybody, a.m. or f.m. 
So uh, evidently, even people that don't go to Atlantic City really enjoy hearing the uh, the AC report. All right, uh, we'll continue with your calls in a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC Talk Radio seventy seven WABC. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano seventy seven WABC. <laughs> Terrific song. Jimmy Rogers, Blue Yodel Number 9. I love a good song with yodeling. And, you know, this song is more than 90 years old. And it is, this is just great. I, I think it sounds as good these days as uh, as it did back in 1930. 800-848-WABC. Uh, that's 800-848-9-2. Two two, Mikey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mikey. Hey, good morning, Frank. Morning. How are you doing? Doing fine, thanks. Um, it's so good to hear your show. Really, it is. <laughs> oh well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. Well, we got to move you on to the day shift so we could sleep. <laughs> uh, you know, well, I, you know, some people listen to the podcast so they can sleep at night. I don't begrudge that's them. True. I don't no, begrudge them that. I'm, but I'm uh, you, you could stay exactly the way you are. Thank you. I wanted to mention the bumper music you're using is fantastic. You know, Elvis Presley. Oh, man, that was the greatest song I've ever heard by him. Well, oh, that, that's very kind of you. I'm a big Elvis fan. Uh, we yes. try to play as much Elvis and as much uh, Johnny Cash as we as we can. Nobody like Elvis, that's for sure. No two ways. No, no, really. No two ways about it. But you know what? I was thinking about the, you know, I had a girlfriend one time, and she used to know how to pick stuff out of the garbage. Like, she got me some 45s that were, like, unbelievable. You know, like, you know, like... Uh, uh, what is Bo Diddley and uh, whatever? I don't know. I tell you, I'm, I, it was amazing. I, but you know, you gotta really know what you're doing. You really gotta know what to pick. What so, to what do. was your girlfriend's secret? What was her secret to uh, uh, stupid? She was born with. I think I don't know. Just the talent she was born with. You know, she she could do it. She could just find anything, and and she found pots and pans and things that she. I said, you know, you really. I, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. Oh, by the way, and uh, just on the Easter thing and all that stuff, you know, it's it's nice when people give things up for Lent. I mean, that's I guess that's a, a very nice thing to do. But I think it's even nicer if you do go out of your way and be kind to someone or be. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I agree. I absolutely agree, Mikey. During, during and I, Lent, you I, know, I, during Lent. You know, during any time of the year, uh, Mike, you know. you're of course right, and you know, I I try to do what I can for people, but um, 
I do think the there's something about sacrifice and especially sacrificing something that's difficult that really does cause you to look deep within yourself. Um, look, if you're going to give up candy canes in the middle of March, that's not exactly a struggle. But if there's something that's a real struggle for you, uh, if, if there's something that's a good. real good. yeah, well, no, but I'm serious. If but yeah. if there's something that's a real struggle for you then that is that is difficult. Um, yeah, and, sure. and I I think it really does cause you to uh, – it focuses your mind, your body, and your soul a little bit. Thank you, Mikey. In my case, you know, I haven't had booze uh, since Ash Wednesday. I haven't had bread or pasta or any carb since around that, that time. And I got to tell you, I do think you you find yourself digging within yourself and even praying to have the strength – to maintain that sense of sacrifice. No cheese either. I mean, you know how difficult that is for me? No booze, no cheese, no bread. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, those are like three of my four food groups. Now, I'll continue with your calls in a minute. Those of you that are holding, I'll get to you. However, I, you know, I was mentioning this to Dominic Carter last night. When you go, I live a nocturnal existence during the week. And... I sleep during the day, and I'm awake at night. On the weekend, I try to transition back to a normal schedule. And at times, that can be very challenging. And I try – I really give it my utmost because sometimes I'm able to pull it off. And I try to go to bed when my wife goes to bed because Saturday and – Friday night and Saturday night are the only nights that we get to go to bed together. So I really do try to go to bed when she goes to bed. Sure enough – I go to bed around 10 p.m. or so Friday night. 1.30 a.m. comes around. I'm wide awake. Wide awake. Cannot sleep. And I use all my methods. I do a little meditation. Do a little just lie there and keep your eyes closed. At least keep your body resting. Uh, Do some breathing things, some visualizing things. Nothing's working. I'm just not tired. My mind is racing. Racing with things I got to do, racing with thoughts for the show, racing with things that I want to read, racing the things that I want to write. My mind is just pa 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 pa. So I'm lying in bed for about a half hour. I said, "Screw it, I'm getting up." So I go down to my office, and uh, I figured the baby would be up soon anyway to cry or you know need a feeding or something. But I go down to my office in in our house, and I start reading. Uh, a bunch of articles that I have earmarked on the uh, on the internet there, and and in other places. So, what am I going to do? One, it's now about two a.m. I'm going to listen to Curtis Lewa. So Curtis, who's on every Saturday and Sunday from midnight to six a.m., six hours. It's very difficult to do a six-hour shift. I'll say, wow. And what do I tune in to hear Curtis saying? Well, he's talking about me as he does almost the whole weekend. And everything he's saying is about 60 to 70% inaccurate. See, he throws just enough truth in there to make it sound almost somewhat believable, but then, then the rest is just totally fabricated. And then he's got all these callers that feed in to his, you know, fictionalization of this Frank Morano character that Curtis has created. 
You know, it's funny. Quick aside. There was an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, I'm going to look up the episode's name because it was very good. And um, there's this society that tries to uh, piece together the history of that ship just from some of the digital records that they find from Voyager. And they piece together Living Witness. That's the name of the episode, Living Witness. They piece together an image of what goes on on that ship that is totally inaccurate. It's a wonderful episode. And it's actually directed by the actor that played uh, Tuvok, Tim Ross. It's a great episode. But that's what I fear with Curtis is that 20, 30, 40 years from now, I will be gone. And for whatever reason, my audio archives will be lost to history. And the only thing to remember me by will be these Curtis recordings. And people will have such a distorted view of me based on these things that Curtis and his idiotic callers. Actually, I don't, I don't want to call them idiotic. Some of them are very funny. Curtis and these things that the uh, the callers are saying about me, which are completely wrong. They're saying I'm going to wakes and eating cake. They're saying oh, I'm doing all sorts of weird stuff. So I decide, look, I'm up anyway. I'm listening anyway. Let me call in. So I call in and they put me on hold. As I'm on hold, I'm listening to all the other things Curtis is saying, not just about me, but all the other things the callers are saying. And some of them are very good. And I'm into the show. It's a good show. And I start making notes now about all the subjects that I want to hit in my phone call. And I'm now doing show prep to a phone call to someone I speak to three, four, five times a day. I mean, it's really ridiculous. And as I'm writing out my notes, I'm thinking of how ridiculous this is. So this is now about 2.30 that I begin my call. Rest of the 2 o'clock hour goes by. Nothing. I don't get on. Then we're into the 3 o'clock hour. Nothing. I don't get on. Now, towards the end of the 3 o'clock hour, he goes to two callers in a row that weren't there. They had fallen asleep or dropped off. So now, at the beginning of the 4 o'clock hour, the call, the telephone talent coordinator comes to me and says, Frank, are you still there? Uh, are you still there? Are you still with us? Yes. And meanwhile, I'm on a landline. Radio is off. I am doing all of the, I'm unfailingly polite to the telephone talent coordinator. I'm doing all the things that every radio caller should do. Landline, radio off, uh, quick anecdote about what I want to talk about. You know, uh, get right to the point. Polite to everybody. Right. Okay. He says, you still there? Yes, I'm ready to go. So the whole four o'clock hour goes by. He doesn't talk to me. So now, I mean, it's not like I'm just wasting time. I am reading articles and answering emails as I'm on the phone here, but I'm holding this phone up to my ear for two and a half hours. Now we're in the five o'clock hour. Now, I know there's only eight lines on this call board, and I'm seeing all of these callers that Curtis are going to before me, not going to me, not going to me. And then the hour goes on. The hour goes on. It's 530. 540. I've now been on hold for three hours and 10 minutes. I, now, now I'm actually tired and I'm thinking maybe I should go to bed. And my wife is saying, because she got up once to change the baby or something. She said, what are you doing awake? 
And now I was not about to tell her that I've been on hold for three and three hours and 10 minutes to talk to someone that I work with, that I speak to on the phone almost every day, because there's a level of patheticness that even she won't tolerate from her husband. So I, I, I didn't tell, I'll be, uh, I'm actually getting tired, honey. I'm going to try and come up in about 15, 20 minutes. And meanwhile, I'm thinking he's got to go to me eventually. And the show ends at 6 o'clock. I'm on hold from 2.30 a.m. to 6 o'clock. The guy didn't go to me at all. Even at one time, the screen, so the screener checked in with me. Said, you ready to go? To go. I called in on another phone line. I called in from my mobile phone to see if it would ring or if it's busy. If the phone, if the, if it was busy, then I know all the lines are jammed and he's got plenty of other callers to choose from. But, um, the phone rang and I said, Hey, this is Frank. I'm on the other line. Just wondering if there's any estimate of how many people are ahead of me. And the, the telephone talent coordinator didn't tell me, but six o'clock comes around. He doesn't go to me. And then once again, once again, the telephone talent coordinator doesn't come back to me and say, I'm sorry, sir. We weren't able to get to you. We ran out of time. Maybe try and call back tomorrow. They just hung up on me. I cannot tell you much that ticks me off. You know, 22 years ago, I had called into Curtis and Kuby, and their telephone talent coordinator at the time was was Flipper. And again, I waited on hold maybe about an hour, and Flipper comes on the phone and says, sorry, no more time, and she hangs up. And I was so ticked off at her for being so dismissive that that was my reward for waiting so long to go on to the the radio. And I still give Flipper a hard time about that to this day. Well, whoever's screening for Curtis at night, at least this past weekend, they don't even give you that courtesy. They just hang up on you and disconnect you. I have call screened for national hosts, local hosts, in multiple markets, never once, unless someone was being rude and belligerent or they keep calling back or they won't take no for an answer. I wasn't doing any of those things. Never once have I ever just hung up on a caller. I, I just I don't understand what these people think. Don't they think that these listeners are going to get ticked off and then not want to listen to us anymore? I was furious, not only because I wasted three and a half hours and prepared, you know, all sorts of stuff to talk about. But I'm furious that this guy is working at our radio station, hanging up on people. I mean, it's really rude and i can't believe that that folks do that and it was really disappointed so then um so that was a big portion of my saturday morning so then i'm listening you know we've been airing the best of the other side of midnight on on saturdays and it's right after curtis sliwa and anthony weiner and right before Vinny Madunio, you know, both good shows, both do a good job. And I'm listening. And, you know, by the way, I'm told we're doing pretty good numbers for that Saturday uh, afternoon version of The Other Side of Midnight. So thank you for those of you that are listening to it. So I'm listening to the end of Curtis and Anthony Weiner. Now, what did you hear when Curtis ended his show at midnight? He has Dominic Carter on for a few minutes. What are you talking about? What are you doing? Boom. What'd you hear at the end of Dominic's show? Dominic has me on for a few minutes. What are you doing? 
Nice little tease. Curtis, who knows full well that I'm on after him Saturday afternoon, doesn't mention at all the show that's coming up. He doesn't say he could have, like, thrown in a dig. You know, he's a, he goes, listen to that Mama Luke, uh, the Mushad, Frank Morano coming up uh, in just seconds with the best of the other side of midnight. Could have said something. Hey, still not. No tease at all. No promotion at all. I mean, that's not what I call being a team player. I'll tell you that. What do I? What do I say at the end of this show? Listen, listen. Coming up next to the early news with Deb Valentine. Stay tuned to six a.m. with Bernie and Sid. That's all I'm asking. Something like that. Something. Now, while he didn't take my call, where I would have straightened him out on a bunch of the inaccurate things that he was saying. And that the callers were saying and commented on a lot of things. You know, he throws out these random questions when he can't remember something. He tries to make it as if he does remember and then makes it a trivia question. But I had answers to all of them. I had notes, notes and notes and notes. He did manage to take a bunch of calls from a bunch of other anti-Frank Morano people. And, of course, first online to jump on the anti-Frank Morano bandwagon was our friend Chris from the Catskills. Now, Chris, he goes on for two and a half minutes. Now, for those of you that didn't listen to the show, this guy calls me regularly, and then he calls, and he's nowhere close to the topic that we're talking about. And he goes on and on, and he just wants to talk about himself. Not not with respect to the topic, just himself. And then, so, I mean, I didn't think he was a very good caller. And then he calls Curtis and bashes me saying, I'm trying to put words in his mouth and whatever. Now, he calls Curtis again on Saturday and rehashes what we did last week where I, where he, where I explained that we're taking every call over Chris. So he goes on for two and a half minutes and then, you know, we're not going to play his whole 10 minute call, but here's a portion of Chris from the cat skills. And we all know that Frank loves his cheeses. He actually hosts uh, every year at the Borgata in Atlantic City, the casino, a wine and cheese extravaganza where about 100 people show up. And he has all kinds of cheeses, you know, from uh, uh, from uh, uh, Velveeta, Kraft Velveeta, the low-budget cheese, to imported cheeses. Uh, then he's got the 99-cent chemical Ernest and Julio uh, Gallo uh, chemical wines. And then he's got uh, high-end imported wines and domestic wines. So he loves his cheese and he loves his wine. And uh, according to Eric Adams, cheese is more addictive and worse for you than if you were mainstreaming uh, heroin into your vein. So I think I, I did punk Frank Morano. You know, I told you about it, the Will Smith thing. And, you know, he, he, he's blaming me for Ron Kuby losing the interview with Ron Kuby. And Ron Kuby is dynamite on the radio. So I feel bad about it. So you know what I did, Curtis? I called Ron Kuby's office and I apologized. Wow. And I urged him to come on Frank's program. I left a message, very heartfelt, very sincere. You know, I'm a straight-up guy. And, and you know what I did? How does Curtis you know, know and I tried calling guy. in to Frank's show. Curtis knows him as some loser that calls him. apologize for punking him. And that I wasn't going to apologize for, you know, he really slandered me hard. I mean, he was calling me a buffoon, all these things. So um, Can't I imagine why. In, and Molly told me not to curse. She said, calm down. 
And you know, I've done I've done seven talk radio shows before. My big my biggest interview I ever had, I didn't get paid for it. It was when I was an elected official. You, you see what I mean? You see what I, this I, guy I, does? I interviewed Zephyr Teach out Who once. cares? And let me just say, it was a, I, I gave her hard questions. All right, you should so, have. But, uh, she she <laughs> I, I, I wanted to debate her myself. <laughs> I'd let her know that because I would have mopped up the floor with her. But um, he he said he was going to do a, ro- a reverse Rosa Parks on me and put me to the back of the bus in uh-huh. the line, uh-huh. and he proceeded. You know what he did? He he jock blocked me three nights in a row, Curtis. Jock block. Wow. You know something? I I wrote it up on Urban Dictionary and I and I referenced him because it was so bad what he did to me, right? So he called me a buffoon, a moron. Yes. He said that I yes. ran for assembly ten times and lost. That he had confidence and faith in the residents of New York that they would never vote for Chris from da da da. You know, and so he kept going on and on and on. So I finally get on the air with him, and I was like a monk. And I said, let's debate. I said, I want to debate you for charity. And then he was like, oh, well, you're a nobody. No. And I said, I want to debate later. Wait, wait, wait. Pause that. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Um, well, well, let him finish this thought. Okay. We talk too much. But, you know, um, I was a gentleman about the whole thing. So, you know what? I, I got thinking about it, though. And I thought, you know something? I did punk him unprovoked i called as a caller and mm. he was nice to me in the beginning yeah. he got nasty at the end no, I, I felt bad about it it's bad karma so you know what i did tonight curtis as an apology uh, to frank all right, we'll, we'll hear more of chris later I, we'll hear more of chris later first of all he offered to debate me and what i said was you know i'm not really an expert in anything but if you want to debate me i'll debate you sure uh, he wanted to talk about crime. He wanted to be d- debated about crime. Now, as if I'm Bill Bratton or something. Why would I be in debating about crime? I'm not an expert in crime. And then I said, but sure, I don't care. Fine. I said, I don't know that anybody's going to care about the two of us debating because no one knows who you are, which is true. And two, everyone knows that I'm not an expert in crime. But his argument was that it was for charity. Yeah, well, and that's I'll so, do it. Fine. So, but that, that's what I'm saying. Who would pay to see Chris from the Catskills and me debate? I, I think I might pay to a charity to to stop hearing Chris from the Catskills on the radio. But beyond that, I don't see what he can do or that we can do together that's going to generate much money for charity. But, um. I did not get nasty towards the end of his call. He called on Friday. I took his call. It was fine. And then he starts going on a tangent in another direction, which apparently he can't help himself from. We'll hear more from Chris from the Catskills a little bit later. But but by the way, you could hear you, that Curtis was amused at what I was saying about Chris. Chris is trying is expecting a sympathetic ear, and and uh, Curtis can't help but but laugh. And then. Um, So we'll hear more from Chris from the Catskills a little bit later. I'm going to take your calls in a minute. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, 
everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, the uh, weekend call screener may not get one. Neither is Chris in the Catskills likely to get one. Although, maybe there's more to the Chris story. We'll get into that a little bit later. But, if you've done a good deed or accomplished something extraordinary, there's a, a good chance that one day, somehow, by hook or by crook, you may be a recipient of... The Other Side of Midnight presents... Commendations. I must first begin by giving a commendation to Scotty Scheffler, who won the Masters, his first Masters victory, and went home with a big check as well. You know, there was so much attention paid to Tiger Woods, and deservedly so. It's a great comeback story, the fact that he could come back from so much personal adversity and then a car accident in which he almost died and still has difficulty walking to even compete in the Masters, but I don't want Tiger Woods and his comeback story to overshadow the accomplishments of the actual guy that won this tournament. Uh, Scotty Scheffler shot a final round 71 to win the tournament. He was 10 under par, finished three strokes ahead of Rory McIlroy. A 25-year-old man took home about $2.7 million as the winner. So I say good for him. It's a tremendous achievement. Those of you that are familiar with, with golf know what it means to get that green jacket at the Masters. I was watching. I don't even like golf. And even I recognize the incredible athletic achievement there. I want to give a commendation to Fear, Fear Deliza Marte. This is some story. This is an assistant principal. 42 years old, she works at PS23 in Bed-Stuy, and she is now being hailed as a hero in the community, but she hasn't really received much outside attention, so we want to give her some in the form of a commendation. After stopping at the the, uh, accident at Metropolitan and Stewart Avenue in East Williamsburg a few months ago, she performed... CPR and mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on a man slumped over the steering wheel unconscious. Turned out that man was Melvin Martinez, a beloved assistant principal at PS257 in Williamsburg. So think about that. She stumbles upon the scene of an accident, and the person that she starts lending assistance to is a fellow assistant principal at a different school. He's also the baseball coach over at the uh, Grand Street Campus High School who won the first-ever honorary ESPY award for keeping his team motivated to practice and study during the pandemic. So a series of random shifts in her daily routine brought Marte to that intersection at the exact time that Martinez urgently needed help. That afternoon, a school staffer who lived in Glendale near Marte's home in Maspeth asked the assistant principal for a ride home. After dropping off her co-worker, Marte drove off, but soon realized her mistake. I've done this, where you get just in the routine, she was driving back to work. She was heading back to work. She then turned back towards Queens. It was a totally different way, not the way that she would usually go. About 10 minutes away, she phoned her husband. I'm almost there. It was just before 6 p.m. That's when she stopped at Metropolitan and Stewart to make a left and saw the two-car crash. I see these two teenagers come out of the car and they're frantically screaming, putting their hands on their heads. I could tell they didn't know what to do. 
Marte, thinking of her two young sons, made the turn, parked, got out of the car. She looked at the driver. The airbag was all over him. His body wasn't moving at all. She thought he had passed away. The teens, later revealed to be the driver's sons, were frantically going in and out of the car, touching his pulse and crying. He's not responding, she said. So she calls 911 and asks the boy the driver's name. Melvin Martinez, one said. She knew him. She knew that Martinez was a fellow assistant principal. At that point, she just got got in the car. She forgot she was on the phone with 911. She put the phone down and started doing chest compressions and CPR. She's in the passenger seat giving him chest compressions from one side. She does mouth-to-mouth on him. She didn't even think about COVID or anything like that. Meanwhile, her own husband was hospitalized with the virus for 19 days. She doesn't think about putting her mouth on a stranger's mouth. It was the first time that she ever used the CPR training she received in the school. And she saves his life. One of Martinez's sons was standing by the He was like, oh, he's going to be good. I just hugged him. He's going to make it. So this woman really saved this fella's life. And but if anything was different about her day, she wouldn't have been there. Had she not driven the co-worker home, she wouldn't have been there. Had she not mistakenly driven the wrong way, she wouldn't have been there. Um, wow. And she said she finds it astonishing that so many things out of the ordinary brought her to Martinez's side. Uh, but, I mean, she said she feels like this was a God thing. This was not just a random string of events. This happened the way it was meant to happen. Interesting. Commendation to her, for sure. I want to give a commendation to Denise Donnell. She has become the first female officer to command the New York Air National Guard, sworn in Saturday as the head of the New York Air National Guard, which is the aerial aerial arm of the New York National Guard, the first female officer to hold the position. A proud day for New Yorkers and certainly a proud day for her. She is a warrior's warrior. Lest anyone think that she got this job because she's a woman, she is a Georgetown University grad who served in the Navy from 93 to 2002, a command pilot with over 4,400 hours of flying time, including 280 hours in combat. She's flown the Navy's P-3 Orion anti-submarine and maritime surveillance aircraft, uh, the, all sorts of other really impressive aircraft. And as a naval aviator, she served as, um, you know, in a lot of leadership positions. So good for her. I think that's uh, really, really impressive. It's a great thing for the New York Air National Guard and for her. I want to give a commendation to the Kansas Jayhawks. They won the NCAA championship, beating UNC. So this is a big victory for the fans of KU and to beat out 63 other teams, including a lot of other teams that were ranked higher than them, is pretty impressive. So great thing for them. Congratulations to the players and the coaching staff, their fans and the other students at that school. Uh, I want to commend walking 
because the more that we learn about walking, the better it is for you. And this last bit of news is is really interesting. And you don't even have to walk as much as everyone thought, told you you had to, right? What what's always been the what's always been the suggested amount of steps that you should walk every day? Ten thousand steps, right? Well. Apparently, that has now been debunked by new research from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. This study concluded that walking between 6,000 and 8,000 steps is enough to get the same health benefit as 10,000 steps. So you don't have to do 10,000 steps. Just do 6,000 to 8,000. And the study concluded that if you do this, if you walk 6,000 to 8,000 steps every day, That reduces the risk of early death for people who are 60 years old or more by, I'm going to blow your mind with this number, by 54%. You hear that? If you walk between between 6,000 and 8,000 steps a day, that reduces your risk of premature death by by 54%. Why is every person over the age of 60 not walking 6,000 steps? And walking more than 8,000 steps doesn't necessarily add any benefits. I mean, I found this is, as just fascinating. And lest anyone think this is a random study of 200 people, they studied almost 50,000 people across four continents. So kudos to you walking. I do commend you. I also want to commend Betty Reed Soskin. She is retiring as a park ranger. She is America's oldest national park ranger, retiring at the age of 100 years old after an exciting and fulfilling career. She began her role as a national park ranger at Rosie the Riveter's World Rosie the Riveter World War II home front in California at age 84. She began as a park ranger at 84. She is retiring at age 100. I mean that's impressive. I guess she wants to enjoy uh her retirement years. So uh that is wild. I want to give a commendation to Licorice. Love it or hate it. I love black licorice. Absolutely love it. Love it or hate it. Licorice just might hold the key to curing cancer. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, Research from the University of Illinois, Chicago, says licorice may one day help prevent and even treat certain types of cancer. An associate professor in the Department of Biomedical Sciences at the College of Medicine, Rockford, authored these remarkable findings while studying substances derived from the licorice plant. At that time, this professor and his team were focused specifically on the effect of licorice on prostate cancer. Study authors speculate that a substance derived from licorice can help create new agents for clinical cancer treatment. So don't fill your cart with licorice treats just yet. Um, The study authors say they aren't suggesting that anyone and everyone start eating more licorice. Uh, To start, that can influence blood blood pressure, interact with various other medications, and ultimately result in a number of adverse health 
health outcomes. But for now, researchers suggest indulging in the occasional licorice candy or tea from the same licorice plant until further research projects clarify these findings. Well, I think this is great news. I, I love licorice. It's one of my favorite black licorice, one of my favorite candies to eat. I want to commend Chad Kempel. This is a really impressive guy. Chad Kempel is the father of seven children. Now, that alone is impressive. But that seven children includes four-year-old Quintuplet, who helped him set a Guinness World Record after he ran a half marathon in two hours and 19 minutes while pushing the quintuplets in a stroller. He has just set a new world record for speed for running a half marathon while pushing his quintuplets. Now, that's not only a tremendous physical accomplishment, that's a tremendous medical accomplishment as well. And as I said, if the guy did nothing else, I'd still give him a commendation for being the father of seven children, which I'm the father of one. I'm barely pulling that off. So uh, that is something. I want to commend Teddy Siegel. Now, I'm not on TikTok, but I know a lot of people that are. And he is using TikTok, I think, in one of the best ways possible to make it a productive activity. He's using TikTok to document the best public bathrooms in the city. So he's got this TikTok account. He's only a 22-year-old guy. Uh, she, excuse me. Um, 22-year-old woman. She's got this TikTok account, got to go NYC. And she's been sharing information about public bathrooms all over the city. She started this after nearly peeing herself in Times Square. She was on the verge of peeing her pants and had been turned away from multiple locations that either said their bathroom was for employees only or they didn't have a bathroom. She finally encountered a McDonald's where she was able to use the bathroom, but only after buying a product. So to avoid another close call, she started making short videos on TikTok to document free and clean bathrooms she could use when needed. Um, and now her accounts amassed nearly 100,000 followers. This is so helpful to people. I can't tell you how many times I've been in this situation where I've been out and about somewhere and you're trying to find a restroom. You don't necessarily want to buy something. Uh, and it's tough to find. I'm glad she's doing that. I'm not on TikTok, but I'm sure that'll branch out to other forms of media as well. That's great. You remember when um, they did the Seinfeld reunion on Curb Your Enthusiasm? George on Seinfeld in the Curb Your Enthusiasm universe had invented an app that would do something just like this, the iToilet. And um, she did the basically the real life thing. And finally, I want to commend La Quedra Edwards. So La Quedra Edwards was minding her own business as she was buying a lottery ticket. And all of a sudden, you know, it's from one of these machines. I buy lottery tickets from these machines, too. All of a sudden, some rude person bumps into her, jostling her hand to cause her to push the button for a $30 Two hundred times scratchers ticket. She wasn't pleased until she's now. She wasn't pleased because that wasn't wasn't what she was going to buy. She usually buys the same ticket all the time. She wasn't pleased until that was she scratched off this ticket that she bought by accident. 
and she discovered she'd won the game's top prize of $10 million. She won $10 million because some rude jerk bumped into her and caused her hand to jostle and hit the wrong button. Maybe my commendation should be reserved for that person. That's wild. Well, to everybody, I do commend you. And uh, if you didn't make the commendation list this week, as we Met fans are used to saying, although we look pretty good this year, but as we Met fans are used to saying, wait till next year. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-WABC if you want to call in and comment on anything we're talking about or anything we've covered thus far. Um You know, it's funny. I got one SMS text message here from somebody that was uh, here. The text message says if Bob, meaning Bob from Long Beach, wants to know if Pat Buchanan is an anti-Semite, have him contact Bronx. He would know. It just so happens that Joe from the Bronx is on the line. Joe, hello. Hello. Joe, what's up, man? One second, one second, one second, one second. Damn it. Joe, why is your radio on? If you tell me it's because you have prostate cancer, I will hang up on you right now. Hello? hello? Yes, yes Joe. Yeah, yes, Joe. Okay, I yeah. I, I, took, I took your speakers. I was uh, multitasking. As I, as I said before, I mean, your voice has this soporific effect on my senses, so I do appreciate you for that. Uh, but with regard to uh, <clears throat> uh, Pappy Cannon, uh, Pappy Cannon actually made some really great points regarding the Russia situation. And, you know, not only Pat Buchanan, but Paul Craig Roberts, a number of other great writers just like him, they can be found at unz.com. And, again, it's a wonderful site for people like Pat Buchanan that give you a refreshing perspective on, and accurate information on what's going on with regard to the Ukraine situation that you won't get from the controlled media. Now, that said, that being said, there's also an economic angle that I'm surprised no, not too many people talk about. And that's with regard to Western Europe being dependent upon Russian energy imports, right? And that's really what the Ukraine situation ultimately was about. Uh, I mean, yes, there was a geopolitical angle, but even more important was the economic angle. Insofar as that, you know, the Russians were supplying Western Europe, principally Germany, but most of the countries in Western Europe with cheap, clean, reliable energy in the form of liquid natural gas. Now, you had the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which went from uh, the Russian ports, I believe it's uh, Archangel, uh, to Western Europe. And you had Nord Stream 2, which was about to go online. And then all of a sudden, you had the crisis in Ukraine. Now, Nord Stream 2 would have simply increased the supply of liquid natural gas available to Germany and other economies in the region at a much lower discount than would be possible if the United States were to supply it, all right? Now, these countries face the possibility of Russia turning off the tap ad infinitum. All right, Joey, the Oscar music's playing. You know what that means. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Blaze. Uh, We have not been utilizing the Oscar music nearly enough for my take. You know, so I mentioned that Facebook group, which I encourage you to join and contribute to. Right now, it seems like there's only maybe... A dozen people that actually post stuff on there. A lot of people read, a lot of people comment, but I'd love to get more people posting. Just go to Facebook.com and then search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. So uh, Danny writes, when Joe from the Bronx calls in, Frank seems agitated and reluctant to talk with him. 
Joe seems to be knowledgeable, articulate, and well-informed. Did I miss something? So one person writes, uh, I won't read everybody's response. One person writes, Daniel writes, Joe has good facts, but he always comes off as a bigot or anti-Semite. He also incessantly plugs a website for nuts. Stewart adds, Daniel, uh, um, yes, exactly. He's a Jew hater of the right-wing variety. He's always plugging neo-Nazi authors and racists. Now, um, and then a bunch of other people had other theories. So I'm on hold with waiting to go on with Curtis for three hours. Who do I hear? Joe from the Bronx, but he, he gives a different name on Curtis's show. So I said he's on with Curtis now under a fake name. This call is exactly why I hate taking his call. Almost all of his calls border on white supremacy or anti-Semitism. He's never on topic. Now, he was sort of on topic there. And he can't stop promoting UNZ.com and Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. That's what I wrote on Saturday morning at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. What did he do? We let him on the show. What did he do? Almost immediately promotes Dr. Paul Craig Roberts and UNZ.com. Uh, somebody reach out to the good folks over at UNZ.com and send them a bill for the commercial that uh, Joe from the Bronx just gave them. Kevin is in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. Yeah, quick story about the lottery. You're uh, talking about it in your commendations. A friend of mine went into a store to buy, say he was going for the Mega, and the guy printed out the Powerball. So the guy like, ah, and he pulled it back. And he's like, what? He goes, I printed out the wrong thing. He goes, "Ah, I'll take it. I'll take it. He won $18 million. No, really? $18 million, and you even want to play that game. Wow, that is wild. Oh, yes, sir. That is something. That I, I, was that a friend of yours? Yep, sure was. And did he do anything nice for you to invite you to a fun party or nice <laughs> dinner or something? Yeah, well, uh, not right away, but once he bought his house, he went, they bought a really nice house down the shore, and uh, I've been down there a couple times, you know, hanging out with them and stuff since. Well, well, he's that... a great guy anyway, so it couldn't happen to a better guy. Him and his wife, sweetheart, so, yeah, awesome. Well, that is great. Uh, good for you, Kevin. Thank you for sharing that. I love to hear that. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. What did I say? 
Ray Charles, the great Ray Charles, who, of course, um, sang America the Beautiful at which WrestleMania, Matt Plays? On the spot here. One, three, ten. No, you you skipped the one that was. Two, WrestleMania 2. What happened at WrestleMania 2? You don't know? I don't remember. Uh, WrestleMania 2 was not as fun as the first WrestleMania or WrestleMania 3. It it was interesting. It took place in three arenas. And the noteworthy things that happened at that WrestleMania, aside from kind of the novelty of it being taking place in three cities, was you had uh, Hulk Hogan, who was the world champion at that time, uh, wrestling King Kong Bundy in a steel cage match. Then you also had a battle royal where um, you had a bunch of wrestlers and the 1985 world champion Chicago Bears, including William Refrigerator Perry. And uh, Andre the Giant won that uh, that battle royal. I think he eliminated the Hart Foundation to win it. And then that's why to this day uh, they still do a battle royal. They call it the Andre the Giant Battle Royal because he was an integral part of WrestleMania history. The other cool thing that was in that WrestleMania, there were a bunch of interesting matches, but on the whole, it was so much worse than what happened before or after it, um, was there was a boxing match between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. T. And you can guess what became of, of that. Picture a boxing match where one of the people is a professional wrestler. That's what happened. Um, hey, uh, just in our follow-up segment to stuff that we spoke about uh, previously. So a caller calls up on Friday talking about the novel by Sidney Sheldon, The Other Side of Midnight. And I said, you know, I really had nothing. To, I haven't read the book. I had nothing to do with naming the show. It was all John, John Katsimatidi's suggestion. And, and then I told an anecdote about Sidney Sheldon writing the song A Boy Named Sue, the Johnny Cash song. Well, that must have been a reflection of my sleep deprivation or something or or spending too much time around Curtis Lee and catching whatever brain ailment he's got because Sidney Sheldon did not write A Boy Named Sue. That was Shel Silverstein. So one listener, I don't know, I couldn't find the email in which he or she pointed this out to me. Otherwise, I would give them credit. One listener pointed that out to me. Of course, I know that. I know who Shel Silverstein is, and I know who Sidney Sheldon is. But for some reason, in that moment, I conflated the two. So I apologize, and I regret the error. Also, uh, an update on the French election that uh, I'm following very closely. As predicted, the top two candidates that will go to the runoff in a couple of weeks were indeed Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen. Some people thought there might be an upset where one of the other left-wing candidates like Mélenchon could make it to the runoff or the other right-wing candidate, uh, the fellow they call the French Tucker Carlson, Eric Zemmour, could make it to the runoff. Neither of those folks did it. The thing that's amazing is not that it's these two candidates. But how close this race was. Now, keep in mind, in 2017, Macron beat Le Pen by about 
more he got more than 60 percent of the vote. So it was like 37 percent to 63 percent of the vote in the runoff. The vote in the first round here was 27 percent for Macron, 23 percent for Le Pen. Now, I still do think Macron is going to win. But. I mean, I would not be comfortable with that margin at all if I were Macron. So it's it's not inconceivable that she could pull off a major upset here, which would send the international establishment into a panic if she were to pull out a win. Now, I, I don't really take sides in foreign elections generally. There are some people that I like that are foreign leaders, but I don't pretend to know about the issues that are important to people in localities where I don't live. But, I mean, it, it would really be something. If she ended up uh, winning that, I'm not saying that's what I'm hoping for. I'm not not predicting it. But on the one hand, there is a part of me that would be pleased with all these free traders, with all these internationalists, with all these globalists, all being sent into a panic with her winning. But, uh, you know, Macron's done some interesting things. I have nothing against him. Uh, Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello, Ralph. Okay, since you mentioned about the uh, election in France, uh, I believe that would predict for me also how the election in the Philippines will turn out, however we win there. Okay, and uh, very much a factor in that election in France would be the uh, war going on in Ukraine. So now, what is the end game? Okay, there are optional four options I will tell you as far as end game goes uh, in that project. Okay? A winning the war, B ending the war. C, toppling Zelensky, and, and D would be, uh, you know, taking out Putin, okay? And uh, uh, we got right now a poor excuse of a leader in Joseph Biden. Not only that, he's an impostor president. He is weak people. This uh, It's uncertain. It's vague. It's, you know, unclear as to what the game plan, let alone, the end game with regard to what he is doing in Ukraine is concerned. And kudos to, uh, you know, the country of Poland. Um, commendation to them. Shout out to them for uh, allowing a safe haven, allowing, you know, opening their hearts and their home to people who are displaced from this country. I would not give, I would not call them refugees because they All right, Ralph, Ralph, thank you. I don't want to make you late for your uh, primary job as uh, the drive-through PA operator at a local McDonald's. Uh, that is, that is. I mean, you could tell. That's why they sound like that. That's what Ralph does. Um, so, speaking of food, very interesting thing happened to me on Friday. So, my sister is over on Friday. So, I'm home Friday night with my wife and my sister. And the doorbell rang. Now, we'd already eaten, but the doorbell rings. And it's somebody with a pizza pie. And it's from a place, I don't want to, it's a local neighborhood pizza shop. I don't want to mention them because, it, to be honest, it's, it's not the best pizza. But I don't want to dog them. They're a small business and they seem like nice people. But the pizza is just okay. I mean, it, you, you eat that pizza when there's nothing else convenient. Um, so he says, I'm from such and such. I said, I didn't order any. 
I said, are you sure this is for us? He says, well, let me uh, let me call and see what the story is. Maybe not. Maybe it was a mistake. So he leaves. And I say to my wife, you know, somebody ordered pizza here. And then my wife thought the same thing that I did because I do stuff like this all the time. And I, I use the Slice app constantly. Slice has got to be my favorite app. And I love what it does for the pizza community. And, and the fact that they're not advertising on this show is just insane. Slice should be our biggest advertiser. But because the, I've spent thousands on Slice every, every year. But anyway. So my wife thought the same thing I did because I've done this before. That I had placed an order for the wrong day. And I've done that before. I have pizza show up at all sorts of random times that were intended for other times. So I looked, I said, no, because with Slice, they text you to tell you it's on the way or you get a notification email that says such and such order is on the way. And I didn't get that. I said, no, it's probably for somebody else. So the pizza delivery person comes back and he says, nope, this is for you guys. It was a surprise. Now, there's no note on the pizza. It's just a surprise pizza from someone. Doesn't say who. Now, now, would you, if you're a public figure, I mean, and I'm a minuscule public figure, but, you know, I'm somebody that strangers know, and clearly a lot of people have issues with. If you were me, would you ever take food that was sent to you by a stranger with no note and no idea who it came from? Hell no. Of course you wouldn't. Now, here's the difference between you and me. I am unable to resist pizza. So he brings his pizza in. Oh, I bring it in. I open it up and I figure, okay, I'm still not really eating cheese or anything. abstaining from bread. And I open it up, and it's a sausage pizza pie. Now, Friday during Lent, obviously we're not going to eat a sausage, you know, meat on a Friday. Uh, so I, I asked my sister, do you want to take this home, maybe eat it tomorrow? Nah, she says, no, I still have leftover pizza that you make, forced me to take home when I was here a few days ago. Fine. So I text my neighbor, and I, well, my wife texted her. And explains to her the situation. She says, are you guys sure? Right? And she said, okay, we'll take it. So I walk across the street in my bathrobe. The pizza is now unfortunately cold. But I hand them the pizza and they were happy to get it. And it's very funny. As I was leaving their house, another pizza guy holding a tray of pizzas starts walking up to their house. And... He, the pizza guy looks at me. He says, hello. I said, wait a minute. Did they just order pizza on top of the free pizza that I just gave them? And he starts walking towards my neighbor's house. And the pizza guy says to my neighbor, hey, is this 355? And my neighbor says, no, it's 343. So the guy had the wrong house. He wasn't actually delivering a pizza there. But so they had their pizza. They enjoyed it. And then coincidentally, a day later... I saw them ordering pizza again, and yet they didn't give us any of theirs. But that's a story for another day. So my wife and I are left wondering 
who sent us this pizza? And we couldn't figure it out. I thought it might have been my friend Sarah who uh, had invited me to Billy Joel and I wasn't able to go that day or somebody else as a joke or something. Couldn't figure it out. But stuff like that happens to me all the time. I wasn't bothered by it. So mystery was the mystery until I'm on hold with Curtis for three hours Saturday morning. Curtis, by the way, will be filling in for me Friday morning from 1 to 5 on this show uh, because I have a, I'm have taking off Good Friday off for the holiday. And I always try to take Fridays off so we can miss our mandatory weekly meeting. But I'm just kidding. I, 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 don't, I think this is the first Friday that I've taken off that didn't involve the birth of my son. But. Um, he will be here. So don't believe whatever yarn he tells you about why he's filling in. So I'm on hold with Curtis on Saturday morning. And towards the end of the Curtis and Chris show, Chris from the Catskills, towards the end of the Curtis and Chris Frank Morano bash fest, in which the two of them couldn't find a fact with a metal detector and a dictionary, I hear this. But, you know, um, I was a gentleman about the whole thing. So, you know what? I, I got thinking about it, though, and I thought, you know something? I did punk him unprovoked. I called as a caller, and mm. he was nice to me in the beginning. Yeah. He got nasty at the end, but I felt bad about it. That's bad karma. So, you know what I did tonight, Curtis, as an apology to Frank? And this is sincere. I sent a pizza to his house, but I made sure not to put extra cheese on it. I had sausage as the topping. <laughs> Look, uh, and you know what? It's Curtis. The driver had to go back a second time. I went online. I looked up Frank's voter registration <laughs> and I went and I went, I went online to find the pizza place. And there was one that was called Godfellow. So I figured that would be the one he would want to oh, go to. Wait, wait, Goodfellas. That's all. That was uh, Highland Boulevard. Yeah, that's, yeah. All, that's owned by a Scientologist. Well, no, they, they they said it was too far, and they couldn't. They called well, me back. Well, they that, had a ten dollar coupon. Chris, I got one by his house. I know, so but Chris, Chris. So, lo and behold, Chris from the Catskill sent me this sausage pizza on Good Friday during Lent. Now, wow, wow, wow! I don't even know where to begin with this. The fella went and looked up my voter registration. And got my home address from my voter registration. How crazy is that? Now, once you do that, you've 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 crossed uh, some kind of line into obsessiveness. Uh, I mean, that's that's a little too close to for comfort. Maybe, and it's got me thinking. Maybe he was the guy, or one of his minions, one of the many Chris from the Catskills supporters from his many failed bids for public office over the years, maybe he was the person dumping garbage in front of my house. Remember, we never caught that guy. Yeah, think? So I found that to be weird. On the other hand, I did think it was nice that he sent a uh, pizza. But then I thought, you know, I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of. I give my email address 20 times a show. 
It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I check my emails in real time, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. I give my phone number that people can text me at all the time, 816-8-MORANO, 816-8-M-O-R-A-N-O. I have open direct messages on Twitter at Frank Morano. Anybody in the world can send me a direct message. I have open Facebook messages at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. So you can reach me via text. You can reach me via email. You can reach me via uh, Facebook. You can reach me via Twitter, even Instagram. I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of. Why, if you were going to do like this, this, this bury the hatchet-like gesture, would you not send a quick note? Also, I mean, you know I'm – first of all, I'm not a big meat eater anyway, um, and Rachel doesn't eat meat. But you know that I'm observant you know, during Lent. Why would you send meat uh, on, a, on a pizza pie? Is that sort of a, a way of punking me again? But I did appreciate the gesture. Uh, I thought it was nice. And it just so happens that the man who may have some of the answers to those questions is on the line right now, Chris in the Catskills. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Frank. You know, you you studied history in college because you're damn good and very experienced at disseminating revisionist history. Thank you. Um, so, Chris, don't you think that's a little weird that you would look up my voter registration to get my home address? And, I, and please don't share it. Share it, please. No, 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 no. Well, I have to make sure it was right. So when I called you the other night prior to that, that was why I asked you because somebody came up their voter registration that they're registered a Democrat in New Jersey. So I I didn't think that was you, but that was why my question was that. Now, um, do you have a special software that lets you look up voters around the state? A lot of people involved in politics. Have right. That. Okay. I mean, but, van, van, but yeah, yeah, I know people, Frank. I'm not. So anyway, so uh, you know what? Speaking of uh, other radio content and other radio programs, I'd love to hear Robert from Brooklyn and Junior, your neighbor, do voice impressions of you, Frank. It would be great radio. You know, um, well, Junior's not really my neighbor, obviously, but um, uh, which one is Robert from Brooklyn? Who does he call? He sounds like he could be your twin brother, man. Really? They, they were talking what, what about, they were talking about um, Churchill. Oh, yeah, I heard that call. No, 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 no. That guy doesn't that sound That was great like radio. That was good. That no, was interesting. Actually, I was interested in that, yeah, but I don't think they, he they, like they, they They need to put you and Curtis on together, like a two-hour time slot, and then you and Curtis should do baseball games together. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, the thing... And that's what what makes uh, Ron Kuby such a unique talent is doing a show with Curtis is almost like Curtis doing a show by himself because it's so difficult to get in a word edgewise with Curtis that you know you people don't even notice you there. But uh, but that was nice. I appreciate the pizza, Chris. Your gesture totally, is well received. I totally, well received. I totally, I totally spaced out the thing about the meat. Uh, and the nobody did. I nobody did. It I, it's a very, it. very nice gesture. I appreciate all the effort Frank, that you went you to. Said, you, you said you wanted to run for assembly before you talked it over with your wife. You were seriously considering it. And then you're saying that you know nothing about crime. By the way, your call screener, Molly, figured it out. I was talking about let's debate for charity. We'll choose some charities that would be to help mental health in New York City, which would yeah, help alleviate I'm happy, the crime. I'm, I'm happy to debate you, Chris, but and one, I don't have any subject matter expertise, um, which probably make, makes it a good thing that I didn't end up running for uh, any public office. And two, 
Who's gonna Who's gonna pay money to hear the two of us debate? Nah, it wouldn't be till like, yeah. I, I don't want to spend an, an inordinate amount of time on this. All three of us are busy, so. Well, who's the third uh, person that's busy? Well, I'm thinking we could do it on Curtis Lee's show on a Sunday night. That would work out in in like the end of October before the general election. Really? All right, and it, yeah, not something where we're going to spend all this time. You know, we, something we could put together, do a Facebook page for it, and. Uh, like six and a half months from now. All right. Well, I think maybe 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 it would work better since you mentioned Facebook. Maybe we'll do it on Facebook Live or something. Maybe that's a better uh, I've format. I've got a moderator. I've got a moderator that could come in. Have Curtis be one moderator, and I've got another one I'll pick. It's gonna be it's gonna be really tough, wonky questions. And I promise, swear to God, I will not. You know, like get any advance notice of questions coming my way you know what we do in our in our local debate when the league of women voters comes through the audience can can submit questions so the the skilled candidates we write that we write the questions out and we pass them in and uh you know it's everybody should know these things that are running for office and and man i write up the wonkiest questions you could ever imagine i can imagine all right well keep me posted i'm willing to participate in whatever forum you uh you you can come up with chris just let me know keep me posted all right take care Frank. thank you, you good morning appreciate the the effort and thought do not appreciate you looking up my home address and please don't do that for anybody else that's thinking of sending me things uh if you want to send me something you can send it right here to the radio station, uh, including uh, for tomorrow when we read your letters. A lot of people have been sending letters. Uh, you can send it to P.O. Box 1777. Uh, attention, Frank Morano. That's P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. That's uh, P.O. Box 1777. Attention, Frank Morano. Uh, New York, New York, 10163. No need to look up my voter registration. No need to look up my address. That's like a it's a line I'd prefer you not cross, to be honest. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Straight ahead. When does it stop? WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Featuring DNCE, Do You Think I'm Sexy? Uh, this is actually a Matt Blaze selection. This is a good one, Matt, I must say. I don't want to be the one taking all the credit for our bumper music selections. Uh, this is a Matt Blaze selection. There you have it. By the way, speaking of social media, I don't know if you saw this, but this is wild. 
there were these strange cloud formations over Alaska, and you could see the photos, and it has sparked some wild conspiracy theories. Uh, everything from a meteor, a Russian missile, a plane crash, a UFO. So, I mean, it really does look bizarre. So if you want to see the pictures of these really strange Alaska cloud formations, uh, I link to it on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. And the last thing I'll mention on the, on the Curtis front was, um, you know, the, the, I heard Jennifer in Boston make a good point about how crazy it is that President Trump is banned from Twitter, whereas John Hinckley Jr. is able, is on Twitter and tweeting. I mean, that's strange. I mean, you'd think whether or not John Hinckley should be out and about, that's one thing. But, I mean, you think, all right, one person was a president, the other person tried to assassinate a president, and it, well, it took him maybe 30 years to do it, played a role in ending the life of James Brady. I mean, he permanently left James Brady permanently disabled, and he ultimately died, I don't know, uh, 38 years later, whatever it was, succumbing to his injuries. So um, I tweeted, we now live in a world where John Hinckley, a man who tried to assassinate a president and who permanently disabled James Brady is allowed on Twitter, but the former president is still banned. Surely this is the sort of disparity that Elon Musk will address in his new role. That's before we knew that Elon Musk was going to be turning down this board seat. So I tweeted that. If you want to retweet it, it's currently close to becoming viral. So I need about another 20 retweets before it becomes full-on viral. So you can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. I tweeted it a day or two ago. My thanks to Jennifer from Boston to letting um, letting me do some intellectual plagiarism on that front. Oh, by the way, speaking of follow-ups to what we've been doing, I have to mention, do you remember um, when I had Dominic Crea on this show? Uh, Dominic Crea has that new website to call out informers, basically. And I mentioned specifically the role that FBI informants had been playing in committing crimes. And in some cases, starting the very same conspiracy that a lot of other people have been, you know, going to trial for. Well, some big news on Friday. Two men were acquitted of plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Now, these acquittals, along with mistrials in cases against two other men, are a huge setback for federal prosecutors. And part of the reason that they were acquitted is because of the role the FBI had and their informants had in concocting these plots. So I have no confidence that this will happen, but I hope that this is a cold shower to the FBI and it sends the message to them that we have to stop having our informants start criminal conspiracies. And you know what the other thing is? I guarantee you these people were offered a plea deal 
where they would have gotten a slap on the wrist, maybe probation, maybe 18 months. And I guarantee you it was a big gamble for them to go to trial and face a stiffer prison sentence. And they went to trial anyway. And I really admire that. I admire anyone who goes to trial instead of taking a guilty plea. I really do. Because the pressure to plea is overwhelming, especially in the federal system. That's why so many cases end up in a plea. If everybody were to decide today, no more pleas, we're not taking any more pleas, we're going to trial, the whole system would shut down. The system cannot take people going to trial instead of taking a plea. So I always said that even if I was faced with this kind of bargain uh, where, all right, you go to trial, you got a chance of getting 15 years in prison. You don't go to trial, you got to spend a $10,000 fine and you get two, two years probation. I'm going to trial because I really think these prosecutors need to start learning how to actually try cases and are going to have to start convicting people because this is uncalled for. They have their own informants start the crime to begin with, and then they pressure, 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 cajole, cajole, cajole these people that now have their reputations ruined to take a plea. I'm not taking any plea. If I'm ever indicted for something, I am going to trial. Um, and it, it's a big part of the criminal justice system that needs to be reformed. Really, really. And uh, I'm working on getting some interesting experts on this subject to to talk about that and how it should be reformed going forward. Uh, all right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Are you a good tipper? Are you a bad tipper? Has your tipping improved or gotten worse over the last three years? We're going to explore the concept of guilt tipping. Guilt tipping. Uh, at the top of the hour, we still got the $1,000 minute to come. Um, Chris Wallace has apparently started his new show on CNN+. Plus. He's doing some interesting things with it, and um, we'll have some other updates for you over the course of the next hour. I'm taking you straight till 5 o'clock where you could hear the WABC Early News with the great Deb Valentine, all the news that's fit to listen to. More news in one hour than the all-news stations bring you all day. And then Bernie and Sid uh, coming up at 6. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. My friend uh, Nick Barbaro came to visit us on Friday, came to visit me, and we were overdue for a visit. But, you know, it's so tough with these hours and with, now with the baby 
to get out to see anybody. So I said, Nick, you know, I'd love to see you. Why don't you come over? And um, because it had been a while since that we spoke, and he, he did come over, and I appreciated making this trip all the way to our house to spend a couple hours. And because it had been a couple of months since we met in person, he had a list of subjects that he wanted to go over. So one of the first things on his list is, what is that song that you play at the top of the 4 o'clock hour? Everyone asks me about that song. And you can see why. It really is such a great song. The Swan Silver Tones. And um, we we spent a lot of time when the show first started talking about the Swan Silver Tones. I have to see. Maybe we get one of those guys on the show. I think at least one or two of them are still alive. We'll we'll work on that. Um, front page of the New York Post, either Friday or Saturday. I think it was Friday. Headline, guilt tipping. Pressure to tip has gotten out of control. Uh, In this article by Alex Mitchell, we're tipping past the point of no return. Paying via tablet is now the convenient norm at pizzerias, coffee shops, fast food joints, and other quick service spots across the city. But the gadgets are quick to ask if you want to add a healthy gratuity to your order. Touchscreens typically prompt patrons to leave a tip ranging from 18 to 30 percent and sometimes even higher when they grab and go. Occasionally, the, pr- the prompt replaces the old tip jar, upping the ante on what was customarily a tossed buck or some loose change. But in many instances... Patrons are being pressured to pony up at places where they've never been expected to tip before. I got to tell you, I've noticed the same thing. And I find when you play, when you pay with these devices, including spots that I would never tip at, it says, oh, do you want to tip? And then it gives you the option, 18%, 22%, Patrons being forced, or not forced, but pressured to pony up at places where they've never been expected to tip before. Folks are saying, at least in this New York Post article, they're waiting online for their burgers and fries at Five Guys, and they're not happy about the sudden ubiquity of gratuity gauging. Jared Goodman. I was somewhere spending $23 on just coffee and pastries, and she suggested... Tip was another $8. And I simply said, no way. I'll give a dollar or so as a custom tip amount. But let's have a reality check here. Recently, I got a quick bite with my girlfriend, and the suggested tip amounts were 25 35 and even 40%. That's just insane. You know, the Slice app, which I use all the time, at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week, I've noticed that same thing. The tip amounts... First of all, there's already a del- like a fee. They call it a, a local pizzeria fee or a convenience fee. I forget what they call it. But there's already a fee that you pay to use an app. So it makes it more expensive than if I were to just call the pizza shop individually. Then you have to see these suggested tips. It's a fortune. Helen Suskin, a consultant from the Upper East Side, told the New York Post that even though she tips regularly on everything from coffee to baked goods – Her generosity isn't exactly coming from the heart. When you order from a counter, she said, 
There's no added service, yet she feels compelled to leave a gratuity anyway. You can call it. You can call that guilt tipping. And thus, a new term has been born. Thank you, Helen Suskin. Guilt tipping is when you pay for something with your credit card or I guess it's only through your credit card. I guess you could use PayPal or other things. And then it asks you, how much do you want to tip? And then it leaves these tough amounts. And I got to tell you, I do feel guilty leaving a small amount. The old jar system, all right, you stick some change in there. If you if you, you get 80 cents in change back, I throw the 80 cents in there. But now it's a big production. They're watching you as you decide how much you're going to tip. Others, however, say they won't be cowed by the machines. I, Chelsea resident Stanley Vogel said, I don't tip people who are just doing their jobs by doing counter work. But like in a bakery, if they're just giving me a loaf of bread, I'm not going to tip them for that. I never tip people who are counter people that are just bringing me something I can get myself. Smart tablets haven't changed anything for him. I'm puzzled that these people who are just doing their job expect a tip for it. Some wonder if businesses are doing this to pad their bottom line. In New York City, restaurant servers often make below minimum wage and patrons are expected to reward their hard work with tips that will augment their salaries. Yet fast food workers, a legal category that includes baristas and cashiers, they're guaranteed minimum wage. They're not relying on your tips to make minimum wage. The popular electronic payment system Square lets business owners dole out the electronic tips in a variety of ways. Listen to this. I didn't even know about this scam. Listen to what a fraud this is. It could go directly to the person who processed the transaction. Makes sense, right? The person's talking to me, asking me what kind of coffee I want. Or it might be pooled across the staff, either per transaction or by hours worked. But unlike the old days, when you might directly hand a 10 spot to your server, nobody seems to have a handle on where the counter service tips go exactly. Aha! So, talk to me. Have you noticed these machines guilting you into tipping more? Or to tip when you wouldn't have otherwise tipped? 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. I, by the way, have been saying that I think there's no reason that waiter or cashier or barista or server, that that should be a job that gets tips, whereas radio talk show host is not a job that gets tips. As far as I'm concerned, I am doing as much of a service for you as a barista at Starbucks, and I think I should get tips. If you ever want to send a tip, by the way, P.O. Box 1777, attention Frank Moreno, New York, New York, 10163. You throw something in there for Molly if you want as well. And Curtis, when he hears that, he gets all nervous. He emailed me last time I mentioned that and said, oh, Frank, that's not something you ever want to mention. That's what Soupy Sales got in trouble for. No, let me be very clear. 
I am 100% serious. This is a job that should get tips. 100% clear on that. And I'm doing everything above board. I'm going to claim those tips on my taxes and so forth. But I'm curious, are you noticing this guilt tipping? I am. And, and, And I'm glad the Post did an article about this. And I was kicking myself that I didn't think to talk about this before the New York Post did it. Now, I've talked about tipping before, and generally when we've talked about tipping, um, it harkens me back to a great Quentin Tarantino film called Reservoir Dogs, in which one character, the character played by Steve Buscemi, decides that even though the other guys are all thrown in money, he doesn't want to tip. I'll take care of the check. You guys can get the tip. Should be about a buck a piece. All right, everybody cough up some green for the little lady. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? You know what these chicks make? Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. It's for the birds. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, where is she too busy? Where it's too busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitresses. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. This is a hard job. So I was working at McDonald's, but you don't feel the need to tip them, do you? Now Why you not? do. They're serving you food. But no, society says, don't tip these guys over here, but tip these guys over here. Waitressing is the number one occupation for female non-college graduates in this country. It's the one job basically any woman can get and make a living on. The reason is because of their tips. I mean, I'm very sorry the government taxes their tips. That ain't my fault. I mean, if you show me a piece of paper that says the government shouldn't do that, I'll sign it. Put it to a vote, I'll vote for it. But what I won't do is play ball. And it's non-college you're giving me. I got two words for that. Learn to type. Because if you're expecting me to help out with the rent, you're in for a big surprise. Just convince me. Give me my dollar back. Hey, leave the dollars there. All right, ramblers, let's get rambling. Wait a minute. Who didn't throw in? Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink. Why not? You don't tip. You don't tip. What do you mean you don't tip? You don't believe in it. Shut up. What do you mean you don't believe in it? Come on, you. Cough up a bucket, cheap bastard. I paid for your breakfast. All right, since you pay for the breakfast, I'll put in. But normally I would never do this. Never mind what you normally would do. Just cough in your buck like everybody else. Thank you. I love Lawrence Tierney. I'll tell you. You know, um, the film critic for the New York Times, David Kerr, once described Lawrence Tierney as not so much an actor as a frightening force of nature. And he was. He passed away many years ago. But whether he's playing Elaine Bennis's father or um, that character in Reservoir Dogs, he is incredible. Joe is the character in Reservoir Dogs. He could intimidate you or anybody into leaving a tip. 800 Nancy is in Munaki. Hello, Hi. Nancy. 
I have uh, two gripes. One is if you didn't go in the store, they wouldn't have a job. And, uh, you know, you go in there to get a product. You're not going there to be hand-served like the people that come to your door. They might do you a little favor. They hand me my mail and do little things like that. I'd be happy to tip Sure. Them. But another gripe I have now is there's a supermarket here, and they charge you for a tip. They say driver will get full amount. So if you put $9 in, they charge you 10 If you put 10 they charge you 11 So who's getting that on the buck? That is... A great question. Well, that's the question I'm now asking with these square machines. I wonder if some of these owners are making some money here. Probably. Well, good, great, great point, Nancy. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Guilt tipping. Do you feel pressured to tip when you wouldn't otherwise tip? Do you feel pressure to tip more than you normally would with these machines? 800-848-WABC. Philip is in Brooklyn. Hello, Philip. So, Frank, look, I moved from, from Brooklyn to Floral Park. Um, the supermarket in Brooklyn, everyone has a tip jar on, on a counter. So I moved to Floral Park. No one has a tip jar. So now I'm forcing these people out here in Floral Park to take tips. It's like I feel, I feel bad, you know, like forcing them to take my tip because they say no. But I keep forcing them, and, and now, like, Two of the people, they, they, rec- they, they recognize me, so they just go ahead and take the tip. So, like, now I'm, I, I don't know what to do because, like, people are looking at me, you know, behind me. Why, why is he trying to give them money? Mm. So it's like, it's like crazy. Now, and, and unfortunately, I, I don't see it ending anytime soon. I see these square machines just becoming more ubiquitous. I, I don't know what to do, Frank. I don't know if I should continue tipping now or just keep my money. I mean, they are very appreciative out in Flora Park. In Brooklyn, sometimes they say thank you, sometimes they don't. So, but, you know, like with them being so nice and so appreciative, I just feel like compelled that I should give them a tip. Well, that's nice. That's nice, Philip. Now, do you do that? Do you hand them the money directly because you pay with cash instead of a credit card? Well, no, I, I, pay, I, I pay with a debit card, but I give them cash. I always give I them see. cash and I pay with a debit card. Now, what do you do then when that when that little screen comes up on the prompt, on these square machine prompts, saying, do you want to leave a tip? And then it has the three suggested amounts. Well, honestly, Frank, I've never seen that. Before. Really? Okay. So they're, they're everywhere now. That That's, what, I'm, that's what I think a lot of people, and thanks for the sharing your perspective, Philip. That's what I think a lot of people are taking issue with. These machines are screwing up the natural order of things. 800-848-WABC. Have these machines made you guilt tip? 800-848-9222. Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello there, Sean. Hey, I got an interesting uh, story here that adds a little twist to everything. Um, I went to a little, uh, small little health restaurant type place, and I ate there by myself. I had my meal. It went fine. And when I went to the counter, that little screen came up, like you said. Right. But I decided, oh, you know what? Let me grab a soup to go because I had these soups in the refrigerator there. And I said, oh, I'm going to grab one of those soups to go and bring it home. Well, the lady rang it up on there on my bill. And then the 20% tip included the $10 soup. Oh, my goodness. See, that's the thing with these counter machines. They're counting that that soup 
as if you, they served it to you the same way they did at the restaurant. That's crazy. But uh, that's know, happened to I me. Ha- same thing. I have to tell you, though, after that happened, I never, ever, ever went back to that place because I felt like they ripped me off. Well, but you didn't have to leave 20%. You could have left a custom tip amount. But you're saying you I know, felt. but you know what? I, I realized it afterwards. Ah, like I, I see. I see. See, yeah. that happens to me, too, uh, sometimes. Thank you, Sean. Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Josh is in Westchester. Hello, uh, Josh. Hey, Frank. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, the uh, jar or the square thing, I mean, if you feel like you got a tip and you didn't, you should probably be guilty about it. But, um, yeah, I don't know why, but that square thing makes me feel far more guilty than just the idea that I didn't uh, tip a guy who might have deserved it or not. And I think that's the real question. How come a little square piece of machinery creates guilt in our hearts when a human being on the other side of the counter might not? Well, and, because um, you know what it is? Know, just, it's it's because... That with respect to myself. You know, and I've noticed the same thing when you do one of these checkouts and they ask you... Do you want to give uh, an extra dollar to XYZ charity, whatever? Um, now, uh, the, what it is is it's creating a situation where you now have to make an immediate decision about tipping, whereas you never would have even thought to tip in that circumstance. Or like if you're you know at a place that has just a, had a standard tip jar – You'd maybe throw a buck in there or throw some change in there. You wouldn't think twice about it. You know, it happens so quickly that they're not really looking at you. You don't feel like you're really being focused on. And if they do see you throw it in there, it's it's a nice thing for them. A lot of times they'll say thank you. But with these machines, it's a much longer process. It's not just reaching into your pocket, pulling out a buck or, or some change and throwing it in there. They're watching you as that you make that decision. And there's three options. It's right there, uh, 18%, whatever the margins are, 18%, 22%, 30%. And then, yeah, all right, I'm only going to give 18% because you didn't really do anything. You just rang me up here. Uh, but the, she sees that I'm choosing this instead of the two higher amounts. It's just, it's well, a level of know, scrutiny. Do we, know what they, do we know that they know what we choose? Yes, they do know. Uh, they, 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 they do know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that maybe it's that moment they're looking at you, but still they're looking at you. And if you don't put money in the jar, they also know you didn't tip. Right. Well, that's true. But but again, again, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, Josh, but I don't know if you remember that episode where uh, George keeps trying throwing money into the tip jar at Paisano's where he's getting the calzone and they're not even seeing him because it happened so quickly. But that's fair, too. Uh, but the thing is, if you're at a bagel store, for instance, if you're at a bagel store. I, I mean, and they have a tip jar. I don't think everybody tips at a bagel store. I mean, maybe if you get an elaborate order, but if you're just picking something, uh, you know, a drink and maybe a ready-made sandwich at a, at a, at a bagel store slash deli, they're not expecting a tip. But then when you have that machine staring at you saying, how much of a tip do you want to leave? It begins with that assumption that the tip is going to be included. But you're right, Josh. I guess, you know, why should you let a machine intimidate you more than a person? That's fair. Yeah, that's really my, my thing. I also want to just address something you said earlier about the um, about the plea deals. I mean, you're touching upon a real issue. And the forefathers, they considered this issue. It's called the Sixth Amendment, that 
every American is entitled to a quick and speedy trial by a jury of their peers. And really now we're all barely entitled to a, a flippant decision by a prosecutor. And that is far from the Sixth Amendment. I mean, you're right. If we all chose to uh, not plea, um, if everybody, not all, I mean, if anybody, if all defendants chose to not plea, yeah, the system would collapse. And, um, you know, maybe there should be a union of defendants. Well, just I, like there's a union of everything I, else. You know, Josh, I actually think that's a great idea. Well, well, what about you? Will you join my no plea pledge? Oh, yeah, yeah. I would never plea. Great. All right. Me neither. You and me, we're we're in it together. We'll probably be doing 40 years at Sing Sing together for some. uh, You'd be surprised. By the way, look it up. More than half of the people who actually go through with a felony on a felony charge, and the number is tiny. It's like a three digit number, two, it's a small number. More than half the people who actually fight win. Oh, no. I know. I know. You actually fight, you win. uh, You win. the prosecutors are incompetent and often corrupt. Well, again, I'm not going to go so far as to say corrupt. But I, I wouldn't say corrupt. But right. well, that's your prerogative. Yeah. In a very adversarial way. Yeah, that's fair enough, uh, Josh. Thank you. I also just think it's a function of they don't know how to try cases because they never have to do it. Everything's plea, 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 plea. The pressure to plea is overwhelming. 800-848-9222. Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm making I a living. comment on <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm Excellent. actually an hour late. I flipped my phone at home. Um, I want to comment on the tipping thing. Uh, everywhere you go now, you see a tip jar. Delis, uh, bakeries. Uh, even when Dunkin' Donuts started doing it, I was against it. But uh, if they went out of my way, like if I was a regular out of Dunkin' Donuts and sometimes they give me a coffee for free when I come in a lot, yeah, I tipped them. But I won't, I won't give in to the pressure. I won't tip if I'm if, if I'm if the pressure's on like that. It's it's ridiculous. Everywhere you go, there's a tip jar. Now. It's true. And well, no. Again, I don't have I don't have a problem with a tip jar. What I have is a problem with an electronic prompt that is guiding me to tip out. That's what I have an issue with. Yeah. And, and, and Paul, uh, great job, great job. And a lot of people are commenting they want you to get back to work, even though I believe you're in the same position as I am that you don't have a job that's deemed tip worthy. Um, but Molly, who I guess is, are, is also in a job that society doesn't deem tip worthy. You, Molly, you were saying you made more money working at, at a counter place than you do here because of the gratuity. I, I worked at a vegan bakery and, uh, I made more, not the hourly rate here is higher for me, mm-hmm. um, I hope it's okay that I said that I get paid hourly. I'm sure it is. But anyway, so my rate, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm going to pretend it is. Um, but anyway, my rate here is, is, is higher. Um, so I, I can count on making more money. I guess the tip is the tipping you're unsure. But when, when I like looked at my pay stubs, uh, yeah, no, I made more at the bakery, All right, well, and, and it was with that square screen. You know, you flip it. You they people plug their card in. You flip that iPad looking thing over, and it asks, like you say, and right. you know, some people would do the. There's the no tip option, and then they give cash because they think that we get more that way. But I don't know. I didn't have a problem with my. Uh, location taking any of my tips oh, good. that were good. 
given through the screen. So I got all that money, and that's how I ended up making as much as I did there. Um, well, wonderful. But- uh, you know, again, I'm all for your job now being deemed tip-worthy. And uh, if people want to send Molly tips as well, P.O. Box one uh, 1777, attention, Molly. And uh, I've, I think no re- – I'm not joking about this. People think I'm joking. I am not. I see no reason that radio, um, especially a medium as personal as this, should not be a tip-worthy medium. Uh, if we're going to have tipping. If we're going to have tipping, I think this is a sig- significant service that Molly, Matt, and I are performing. You know, when I was DJing, I would get tips. Same. Same when I was in videography. To play songs. Same thing. Right. Exactly, and that's what you're doing now, only that's without right. tips. And I once made some guy, I was working at a, a bowling alley, this guy came over to me and he goes, listen, he was an older guy, he goes, we got a bunch of ladies here, he goes, you got to do a favor for me, he goes, do me a favor, play this song, gives me $100, $100 bill, to play one song. That's great. I go, okay, next song, I mean, I cut the song that was on to play his song, like five minutes later, he comes back, he goes, that was great, he goes, do me a favor, you got to play me this song. Another hundred dollars. Well, you can't do that because that's payola. <laughs> that's payola. You can't do that on well, radio. No, they're right. It was on the radio. Right. No, but on the radio, you. It can't, was to play a song at a bowling yeah. for the people that were there. Uh, right. right. So we don't want to encourage, encourage that kind of a system. But we uh, we definitely, I think, should have a system where you know people get to show their appreciation in the form of a mild gratuity. Jeffrey is in Queens. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, sir. How are you? Frank, Frank, uh, let's see. Um, back, you know, I'm, now, now I'm 65, but back in the 70s, Dad, you know, parents, the, the parents taught me the value of tipping 20%, not 15. All right, so I thought I was being very uh, sympathetic to the plight of the waitress for those 10 years in the 70s. All right, then I had, um, you know, marriages in the 80s. Guess what, Frank? Since 1990, I have stopped going to restaurants because I love to cook, and um. I say it saved lots of money. I, mean, I really haven't had to deal with the question, but guess guess what? Now, quarantined for two years, mm. being with underlying conditions, and I, I, I buy all my food online, and now you have you know, a new category. The, the tipping question comes back up where they say they, they offer you four choices from like, you know, 5 to 25% or more. You know? and, and that's so, for grocery delivery. Right, right. And I was at first like, no, what? You know, but then I had to think about it. I was like, no, Jeff, you're wrong. They do. I don't, I, 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 right now, I could, you know, chop several times in a month. And, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm giving Frank, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid we've been on the air, Frank. I'm giving less than 15%, okay? It's crazy. I, no, I, it is crazy, Jeff. Uh, this is a real problem. Peter is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Listen, I called to talk about uh, Lawrence Tierney, but just parenthetically, uh, before I I get to Mr. Tierney, uh, the other thing that uh, has happened in recent years is when you're at the supermarket uh, and they they ask you or a little thing comes up when you put in your credit card if you want to round up well to that's what i said dollar. yeah that's what i was telling josh for, yeah, is for, it, yeah, it, it, it's holding you up for one charity or another and then, and then you right. do feel like a, you feel like a jerk or do you want to give to right. the money to the american heart association oh, okay they can have my 65 yeah. uh do you want to give money right. to the uh the the, the krakatoan volcano victims yeah 
Now, yeah, meanwhile, I you know, you. Uh, let me handle my own charity contributions. I just came in here for uh, a, a bagel and a Coca-Cola. Just, just ring right. me up and let me go. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happens at the pet stores, too. I have pets. I, I go in and, you know, get pet food and stuff. And, you know, that do, would you, do you want to add, uh, you know, a dollar or two dollars? It, it comes up for the, uh, you know, for homeless pets, you know, and I'm always a sucker for that. So, you know, that that I do. Uh, anyway, Lawrence Tierney, um, you, uh, you know, and I forget if it was in something Jerry Seinfeld wrote or if I saw it on YouTube, but the cast of Seinfeld was was literally physically afraid of him. I know. Well, he was doing. Yeah, that was in the episode that I referenced where he plays Elaine's father. And they didn't have him come back. They did not have him come back because he was like flashing a knife or a gun. That's right. It was a knife. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, a little factoid that he also, I guess, to supplement his income uh, later in life, uh, between acting jobs, he used to drive a handsome cab in Central Park. You know, one of the one of the horse carriages. Wow, that that I that I didn't know. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. thank you, Peter. Uh, but yeah, that's right. I mean, you see Jerry's parents all the time. You see George's parents all the time. You only saw Alton Bennis once. So uh, th- there was one rather disturbing incident with Lawrence Tierney behind the scenes at Seinfeld, when it was discovered he stole one of the kitchen knives from Jerry's apartment set. So Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, the person, confronted Tierney about this, leading Tierney to try to play it off as a joke and mockingly reenact the stabbing scene from Psycho with Jerry. Now, that scared the cast and the crew to the point where they felt just safer if they didn't make this a recurring character. And so um, whenever whenever Larry David would want to reprimand people on the set or just joke around, he would always threaten um, if something – if you're if you're not good, we're going to bring back Lawrence Tierney. So 800-848-9222. That's one 800 WABC. Pamela is in Central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Yeah, I, I go for being old school because my dad was a mechanic and he did have a boss that stole his tips. And, uh, you know, mechanics weren't always treated that well in the old days. And, oh, I know. Uh, you know, early, and, and so those tips meant a lot. And uh, so I, I try to give a tip to the grocery delivery for uh, one of the companies. I won't say the name. And, um, you know, they, uh, and he looked at me like I was like from the moon or something. I tried to give it to him in his hand. And, uh, I, I'm a true, I'm a believer in that. You give it to the hand. This, uh, oh, we're going to split it up at the end of the day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with you, Pamela. And my wife does that. When she takes an Uber or something, they ask you to tip through the app. She always hands them the cash to the driver. And the drivers really appreciate that as well. Uh, 800-848-9222. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to give you a chance to win $1,000, and you can choose to tip whoever you want with that money. If you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-WABC. That's 
888-900-3222. Seventh caller will get to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do it, you'll win $1,000. $1,000 minute straight ahead. WABC. Daytona's GTO, a, a terrific, terrific song. Uh, all right, we're going to continue with your calls in just a minute, but uh, first we're going to give one person an opportunity to win some money because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Uh, let's meet today's contestant, Frank in Morristown. Hello, Frank. Hey, Frank. How's it going? It's going all right. My friend Bill Smith used to live in Morristown. Actually, he lived technically in Morris Plains until about uh, two years ago. Did you know him at all? Uh, no, I never heard of him. I'm actually in Whippany. It's right next to Morristown. Ah, the truth comes Morristown. out. Yeah. The truth comes out. Are you from Whippany originally, or are you from somewhere else? No, I'm born and raised there. Oh, really? Yeah. And so what's Whippany known for? Uh, like iron. Back in the day, it was like ironworks and paper oh. mills. Well, that's neat. All right. Um, you know, you know, I just looked this up. I didn't know this. You know who's from Whip, uh, Whippany? What infamous political figure? Uh, it's not a not a question on the quiz. I'm just wondering if you're aware of this. No, I don't. I uh, don't know. Linda Tripp is from Whip, Whippany. Remember who's Lin- that? Linda Tripp from the uh, the Bill Clinton impeachment, the one who tape recorded Monica Lewinsky. All right. Well, um, I digress. All right, uh, Frank, are you familiar with this contest? Uh, the, the call screener kind of brought me up to okay. it a little bit. All right. So the way this is going to work is, uh, you're going to have, we're going to ask you 10 trivia questions. Most of them are easy, although they might not be easy for you because you don't know who Linda Tripp is, but, um, we, the, you're going to have 60 seconds to answer these 10 questions. And if you can answer all 10 correctly, you'll get a thousand dollars. Now, if you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one so that we can make sure we get to all these questions. The timer is going to begin after I ask you the first question. You ready to go? Uh, yeah. Is it, is it like everything like politics? What is it? Everything. You name bit. it. You name it. I mean, all right. everything in the world. Okay. You ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. What is the official language of Italy. Italian. What footwear led Cinderella to be discovered by a prince? Uh, gla- a slipper. 
Name the gas that's essential for humans to breathe. Uh, oxygen. Name two actors who have played Batman. Uh, uh, Christian Bale and uh, Robert Pattinson. Who has pitched the most no-hitters in baseball history? Ooh. Uh, Mariano Rivera. Uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Frank. Uh, you're not a baseball fan, I guess. Nope. nope. Uh, so Nolan Ryan is the correct answer. Nolan Ryan. Yeah. All right, Frank. Uh, good job, though. You got you got uh, four correct, and a uh, you lost on the fifth one, which entitles you. Maybe not to a giant case of satisfaction, but uh, if you hold on, give Molly information, we're going to send you a T-shirt or something, some sort of a consolation prize. So uh, stay on hold, give Molly your contact information, and she will, she will, will, she'll send you something. She'll send you something. All right. Uh, We'll talk about Chris Wallace in just a minute, but speaking of things that begin with Chris, I am... By the way, somebody just texted me on the number 8168Morano. That's 8168Morano. And they said, this isn't Frank, is it? So I said back, of course, sure is. Well, who else would it be? Yes, it's me. Now, um, the subject of our son Carmine's christening. Those of you that listen to this show know there's been a lot of drama involved in this one. Differing ideas on churches, different ideas on scale of people to invite, controversy over who was selected and not selected as a godparent. Fine. So we were all squared away. We were all squared away. We had a church picked out, had a venue picked out, had invitations made, sent out the invitations. People were RSVPing. We were all set. We were all set or so... I thought. So we were the church that we were all set to have Carmine's baptism at. I was so excited about. So excited. It's in Manhattan, downtown. It's an Episcopalian church, an Episcopal church. It's called Trinity Church. It's been around since the 17th century. I love this church. Going to services at this church when I used to work down there is really what made me identify as an Episcopalian. I I got so into going to those services. I just loved it. And I was thrilled that my son was poised to be – was that they were going to baptize him. So my cousin Joanne text messages my wife Rachel on Friday. And says, well, you know, we're coming to Carmine's christening. Well, we're coming to the party. We're not coming to the actual service because, I mean, we'd like to be there, but it's just going to be too much to get into Manhattan, especially downtown there, with the five borough bike tour being that day. Whoa. So... My wife, nor I, realized the Five Borough Bike Tour was that day. Now, if you're not from the area, the Five Borough Bike Tour is an event that includes 30,000 
bicyclists biking around the five boroughs. Very appropriately named. But aside from the bicyclists, they closed down all sorts of streets. And including all the streets surrounding Trinity Church. There's no way to drive there. There's no way to drive anywhere close to there. So I said to my wife, all right, well, what if we just take the ferry? She says, they closed down the streets near the ferry as well. I said, what if we take the Holland Tunnel? There's still no way to get there. So she was all about not doing this thing at Trinity Church. But the problem is I had booked a venue for this day. I would plunked down money for a deposit at this restaurant. And we already sent out invitations for this day. So we were in a panic. Well, actually, this all happened mostly when I was asleep Friday. So I woke up to this panic. And so my stepmother was over. And uh, she's telling Rachel about this Methodist church that she knows near where she lives. In Staten Island also. And... She calls this church and says, can you accommodate, you know, my grandson on such and such a day? And they say, yes. So then Rachel's saying, all right, well, maybe that's what we should do. Why don't we go to services there on Sunday? We'll meet with the pastor and maybe we'll do it there. Now, meantime, I emailed the folks at Trinity Church Friday night hoping that they'd have some solution to this and saying, oh, well, there's a special pass that you can get. And meanwhile, I had a lot of people over this weekend and including, you know, elected officials, very smart people, very well-connected people. And I told everybody about this and I was hoping somebody would have a magic bullet on this. They would say, oh, no, no, no. All you have to do is blank. And then the situation would be solved. Everyone to a person said you're screwed. You're screwed. There's no way you can do it there. No, and, and these are out-of-the-box thinkers that were over. So we go to uh, services at this um, Methodist church on Sunday, and it was a great service. And I got to tell you what was so sad. They do. They had maybe four people attending the service in person, maybe four people. And I know a lot of people were scared away due to COVID and watch on Zoom instead – but it's, to me, the saddest thing in the world to see this big old church to be filled with empty chairs, especially on Palm Sunday, on Holy Week. So um, I really wish there were, I mean, not just for the religious component, but for the community component, more people attending services. Because I've noticed this at a lot of the church services that we've been going to. So we really like this, and we like the pastor. She was nice. Um but, you know, I don't really view myself as a Methodist. Now, I was doing some research and we were talking to the pastor. Methodist is apparently an outreach uh, or it's a it's a splinter from the Episcopal Church, which itself is a splinter from the Catholic Church. So we're not that far removed to my first two hopes of Episcopal Church and Catholic Church. So as of now, as of this moment, Trinity is still expecting us. And this Methodist church is still expecting us. Now, I think my wife's strong preference is to go with this Methodist church because it's going to be convenient. We won't have to deal with the street closures and stuff like that. But if anybody has a solution to this problem that won't screw screw up us getting there and the grandparents coming from Long Island, my cousins coming from Pennsylvania, uh, my siblings coming from Brooklyn, 
uh, my parents coming from Staten Island. If anyone has a magic solution to this, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Otherwise, I hate to do it because Trinity is so uh, magical, right? It's just so historic and so wonderful. Otherwise, I think we may have to go with this Methodist church where they're super nice and it's a, you know, it's a nice church. They've been around since 1861 as well. So they have a lot of history there too. But I re- was really hoping uh, to do it at Trinity on this day. All right. I want to get to this. I had this on my list for Friday. I didn't get to it. So Chris Wallace's show has now started on CNN+. Plus. Now, Chris Wallace, he's been at uh, NBC News. He was the anchor of Meet the Press. And he was then at Fox News for a while, uh, where he was the anchor of Fox News Sunday. To my knowledge, he's the only person that has anchored one of these Sunday shows for two different competing networks. And so now he's at CNN Plus, and he had on Nicole Hannah-Jones, the creator of the 1619 Project. And the two of them got into a pretty lively debate. And I'll tell you, if Chris Wallace does more of this, this might turn out to be a pretty interesting show. Now, I don't know if you have to pay for CNN Plus. I think you do. Or if it's something you can download at least temporarily for free. I wouldn't pay for CNN Plus. But uh, if he does more content like this, I could see the show being pretty interesting. So they had a contentious but collegial exchange over exactly how great was the greatest generation. It was sparked by the sentiment that those who lived in America during the Second World War, quote, brutally suppressed people of African descent living alongside them in the country. Uh, CNN Plus anchor Chris Wallace invited Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the driving force behind the New York Times controversial series, The 1619 Project, to be one of his first guests on the show. The show's called Who's Talking to Chris Wallace? And the two disagreed that the 1619 Project's claim that America cannot separate the reality of Jim Crow and voter suppression. Well, let me let you hear what the two of them mixed it up over. What's your response when people say that it's, you're you're saying the country's racist and that this is a central part and making us feel, making them, the kids, feel bad about it? Are you saying... Parents are wrong? Yes. Uh, I think that I don't know how one can argue we were not founded as a racist country. Uh, I believe that we were. I believe that the record is clear. If you're founded um, uh, as a country where black people, because they are black, don't have rights, don't have freedom. If you have a Supreme Court that's dominated by enslavers, 10 of the first 12 presidents dominated by enslavers, uh, our founding fathers dominated by enslavers. If you have these things, the father of the uh, Constitution was an enslaver. The uh, drafter of the Declaration was an enslaver of the Bill of Rights. So to argue that people who were explicitly white supremacists in their writings, I mean, the notes on the state of Virginia says black people are inferior as a race. That is a racist foundation. This is just a factual rendering to me. Now, does that mean that most white Americans are racist? The project doesn't argue that. Is there more? Do we have the World War II portion of that? No. Okay. Well, so the part I wanted to play, actually, was when she goes off about saying how um, the folks that were fighting in World War II that were white – 
were racist. So she said, without the idealistic, strenuous and patriotic efforts of black Americans, our democracy today would most likely look very different. It might not be a democracy at all. We like to call those who lived during World War II the greatest generation, but that allows us to ignore the fact that many of this generation fought for democracy abroad while brutally suppressing democracy for millions of American citizens. Now, Wallace asked her about her contention, saying, again, I'm in no way minimizing our terrible racial legacy. But in some of these things, aren't you overstating? Her response How would you define democracy? His answer, rule by the people. So then they get into this very heated back and forth that that demonstrates these two very different mindsets about American history. Quote, if you have half of the country where it's in some states majorities and many other states pluralities, 25 percent of the population, 40 percent of the population can't vote, have their vote violently suppressed, were there a single one party, one race rule in a region where about 30 percent of the population is black? Would you consider that democracy? Wallace responds, and I think he's absolutely right, by declaring the young adults from ethnic neighborhoods in Brooklyn and South Philly who stormed the beaches of Normandy were not brutally suppressing blacks. And this is where she blew my mind. She says, well, they were. He says simply, no, they weren't. You don't tell me, you don't be telling me that a farm, that a kid coming off a farm in Indiana or a kid came from Brooklyn was suppressing black people. He's exactly right. And I can't believe this mindset, her mindset, is now so prevalent. So um, the, the, the clip is all over the place if you want to watch it. I would definitely encourage you to see it. And I hope he does more discussions like this because this is precisely the kind of respectful debate where you have people respecting one another, not shouting one another down, but um, having two contrasting views on subjects that I wish we could hear more of. 800-848-WABC. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is indeed the other side of midnight, and it's now time for you to be heard. If you have a comment for 15 seconds or less, you can call right now. We don't screen the calls for content. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Just make sure your radio is off. Without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello. Sid Rosenberg is not a moron. 
He's a very professional broadcaster, the idiot who keeps calling up saying Sid Rosenberg is a moron. He's the actual moron. Ralph is in New Jersey. Hello. Well, the gender curriculum that they are imposing upon here in New Jersey, uh, Bush has finally comes to shop, and I would just want to say, Hello, Florida! 800-848-9222. open lines. Usually there are none at this time. Call now. 800-848-9222. Mike is in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, in regard to tipping, here's a tip for you. Don't bet on slow horses. <laughs> Don't go into radio is more like it. Victor is in Manhattan. Ocasio-Cortez says she's never missed being on time for an appointment with her psychiatrist because he warned her that if she didn't arrive on time, he would start without her. Peter's in Manhattan. It's interesting. Irish, Italian, and Jews had a hard time proving they were white in this country. Look it up. Rich is in East Meadow. Chris from the Catskills, you ruined a perfectly good time. Your home address is 1313 Mockingbird Lane, (laughs) Catskills, New York. Thank you. Evelyn is in Bayonne. Frank, I admire the way you handle callers who start off with how you doing, Frank. Your gracious, tolerant, and patience. Patience. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Anthony is in Edison. Oh, yes, good morning. Uh, I'd like to say that all, all lives matter, number one. Black Lives Matter has ended up to be a big scam and a hoax and uh, causing a lot of problems, and they're confiscating a lot of money at the top end. But uh, all lives matter, blue lives matter more, and we can't defund the police. Pete is in the West Village. She's a moron, she's a moron, she's a moron. And finally, Christopher on Staten Island. Christopher. Hi, Larry Turney was a good friend of mine. He was a great guy. Who? Thank you. I didn't hear. Okay. Uh, all right. The WABC Early News is next with Deb Valentine, Bernie, and Sid coming up from 6 to 10 with Rich Lowry. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 